Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com And in the aftermath of those shootings in Charleston, many white Americans are wondering how they can fight racism. Karen Grigsby Bates from NPR's Code Switch team reports on some suggestions. One of the highlights of the civil rights movement in the 1960s was the visible willingness of many non-black Americans to, as the song says, walk hand in hand with black fellow citizens as together they pressed for equal rights. But a lot has happened since then. The country's become more racially polarized. Even so, there are many whites like this man outside Charleston's Emanuel AME Church who have expressed an interest in supporting black people. I'm here to go ahead and just participate and share and give my strength and support, my love and my prayers for my brothers and my sisters that are here. Now the question is, what kind of support? Timothy Patrick McCarthy teaches race and the history of social justice movements at Harvard. He says he and his white peers have to move beyond leaving bouquets on church steps and city sidewalks. It's not enough just to feel sorry for black people when they are subjected to racial violence. McCarthy says white allies to social justice movements have to be willing to have black folks take the lead in their own movements. To become followers as much as leaders, to work with rather than to speak for the black people that they care about. Every person I spoke to for this story, and they were all white, said for white people, talking about race, speaking up about things that may make them uncomfortable, is critical. Dahlia Ferlito is a member of the Los Angeles chapter of AWARE, a group of whites engaged in anti-racist activity. She says getting some people to understand, let alone agree to the concept of white privilege, is tough. For white folks, we kind of conflate race privilege with class privilege. And so when we think about um, privilege, we often think about its monetary wealth. And Ferlito says it often takes several conversations over time to get people to agree that even not wealthy white people can be, and often are, the beneficiaries of certain advantages, such as respectful treatment at the hands of police. Jen Graves is an editor at The Stranger, a Seattle-based alternative paper where she writes frequently about race. Graves says there's one simple thing well-meaning white people can do to help they can commit to talking about race with an open mind. She says the initial response is often defensive. 
they're not racist, I'm not racist, nothing wrong here. Of course, there's a big problem, but I'm definitely not part of it. I've never seen it. It's limited to sort of Klansmen in the South. Writer Tanner Colby co-hosts the Slate podcast, Our National Conversation About Conversations About Race. He says when they don't see immediate results after protesting, petitioning, or making donations, some white allies can get impatient. It's really a lot of very small things that we won't really see the fruits of for a generation. And that's what can be frustrating about uh, what do I do to help. Harvard's Tim McCarthy adds when white allies to social justice movements work to eradicate racism, they shouldn't wait to be praised for doing the right thing. If we're all committed to racial justice, we should not, as white allies, need a trophy before we get to the championship. Karen Grigsby-Bates, NPR News. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. So I have been told. Uh, fascinating little segment <laughs> from uh, last week uh, here on NPR. They do talk about racism quite a bit, uh, substantiating what President Obama said recently, that uh, we have a lot of conversations about racism all the time, even white people. They're constantly talking about racism. That is, is not the problem at all. Uh, our program today, uh, I had been saying that uh, the situation in Charleston, really everything over the last few months, but certainly uh, the situation in Charleston, um, at least in my opinion, has has galvanized uh, people to be a tad more honest about racism, white supremacy over the past month or so. We're getting on the first uh, 30 days since the Charleston shooting. I said I saw in the New York Times people were using the term white terrorism. Uh, I have been saying that for some years, as have other uh, black scholars, writers that I know of, but to see that in the New York Times, that was a first, uh, and I wasn't hearing as much. You did hear it pop up in that segment right there, which could mean that, you know, the moment has passed, but I was not hearing as much white privilege uh, and other, in my, in my opinion, euphemisms. It was a lot more direct, explicit, accurate commentary about what the problem is that produces the likes of Dylan Storm roof. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, he sent me an article that was titled Dylan Roof is White Like Me. And uh, he thought it made some really interesting points uh, about this whole uh, situation. Uh, and it was written by a white person, uh, which I always think is fantastic uh, when you have white people talking about racism, when you can, you know, investigate what they're saying, evaluate it, see if it makes sense. Uh, because white people, contrary to popular opinion, they are not ignorant about Racism. I always think it's best uh, to pay close attention to what they have to say on this subject matter. Uh, Our guest for today's program, uh, in addition to writing the report uh, that I first heard about her work, uh, she writes regularly uh, for Psychology Today. Uh, I think I have linked some of the different reports that she has written uh, over the past few months, quite a few of them. Uh, directly about racism, white supremacy. She wrote about the Rachel uh, Dozel situation. She wrote about Elliot Roger, if folks remember from, uh, I think that was last May, about spring of 2014. She wrote about the Baltimore situation with Freddie Gray. Quite a few different articles uh, dealing with racism, uh, white supremacy. You can check it out again at Psychology uh, Today. It should be linked. Uh, if you get confused or can't find it, just 
let me know. We will hook you up. Uh, in addition to her writing, uh, she is a professor at Middlebury College. Uh, she studies the areas of sociology and gender studies. Uh, she has also written the book American Plastic, Boob Jobs, Credit Cards, and Our Quest for Perfection. Uh, looking forward to hearing more of her views about the situation in Charleston and white supremacy overall. Pleasure to have her on the program. Joining us live, our guest, Professor Lori Essig, Ph.D. Uh, Lori, are you with us? I am. Thank you very much for that very nice introduction. For sure. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, Lori Essig? Yes, well, yes absolutely. Outstanding. Uh, for our listeners, this might be their first time hearing about you and the work that you do. Anything that you think would be helpful for listeners to know about you before we get started? Well, perhaps the only uh, expertise I have is that I have been teaching a course for some time called White People, uh, which is about both the history of whiteness in the United States and the continued project of whiteness or, or the unfinished project of whiteness in the U.S. So um, I do spend a lot of time thinking about whiteness and white supremacy and how whiteness operates in a way that's often invisible. So one of the reasons I, I started teaching that course was to think about how do we make whiteness visible? How can we talk about racism, but actually uh, not make it about white people, but make it about whiteness? What is the benefit, the value of making a investigation of racism about whiteness as opposed to white people? Right. Well, I guess part of the benefit is that... Um, White people are um, in a variety of positions in a variety of places, and many people who live as white people also have um, family who's not white or are themselves mixed race. Or um, white people are all sorts of things, and they're straight, and they're gay, and they're trans, and they're cisgender, and they're rich, and they're poor. Um, but whiteness is more an ideology. It's it's an ideology that affects all of us, um, whatever our race and whatever our other positions in the world. And so I want to think about the ideology of whiteness and, and the history of that ideology and how it shapes so much of American culture, if that makes sense. Uh, I understand. Uh, I'll have to answer it this way. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not certain that it's logical. Um, but that's something that we can kind of tease out as we go along. Well, well, I guess this might be a way of saying it differently. Um, we could talk about men, or we could talk about masculinity, um, right? So we can talk about individual men, but we can also talk about this sort of dominant forms of masculinity that create the sort of terrorism that um, Dylan Roof participated in. Now, that terrorism is about white masculinity, but it is also about masculinity. Um, so I guess if you think about it that way, masculinity and as opposed to men um, and the variety of men versus um, whiteness as an ideology and the variety of people who are, who are white. Does that make sense? Uh, I guess I'm just trying not to locate it as, as a definite thing because when we say someone's white, just like when we say someone's a man, um, those are ideological claims in some ways. They have a lot of history behind them. Just like when we say someone's black or we say someone's a woman, it has a lot of history behind it, but it's still a claim that we're um, imposing onto bodies. Okay. 
One of the things that I've seen in the practice of racism, white supremacy, is that uh, frequently white people, they will talk and talk and talk and either not answer questions or use a lot of words so that things are not logical, are not clear. Uh, and, I, and I have concluded that this is frequently done on purpose. Uh, they even have a new 50 cent word called white splaining and white talk. They have a lot of different phrases. Uh, that capture the essence of this phenomena, and basically I just boil it down to white people using buckets of words to be deceptive and not clear about racism. Uh, I've seen this pattern too many times over the years in talking to white people, so I just customarily ask at the beginning of programs if white people, one of the best things that you can do to help fight against racism is to be as clear as possible without pussyfooting to give logical, accurate, honest answers when talking to black people about racism. Um, if we don't agree, that's fine. That's totally, I don't agree with every black person, so I certainly am not going to agree with every white person, but uh, I'm not trying to be right. Hang on. If you could, right. if you could not interrupt, hang on. Um, I'm not saying that you were just attempting to be deceptive, although that could be the case, but I'm not saying that that was, but through the course of the conversation, if you could make an effort to just be as precise, as clear, no pussyfooting, direct as possible in your responses and, and how we go, that would be great. And uh, we'll kind of interrogate what you just laid out because I understand what you're saying. To me, it just, it makes no logical sense at all. Um, okay, I that's start fair. Off, hang, hang, on, and, hang, and, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because uh, I want to get, this is very important, we start all of our programs with definition, and I did catch that word fair for listeners. Uh, we start all of our programs with the definition of the term racism. Actually, even before that, you are a white woman, is that accurate? Yes. Okay. We start all of our programs with the definition of the term racism, definitions, very important uh, when talking about white supremacy, racism. I use those two terms as synonyms, racism and white supremacy, and I use the same definition for both terms. That definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating Everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Um, I think that that definition is um, partial in that those systems of oppression are always tied up with others. So again, I just want to bring in the complexity of how whiteness or racism or white supremacy can work alongside ideas about what men and women are too. Um, and that's one of the things I was trying to get to in my piece, that if you look at what Dylan Roof said, and actually if you look at a lot of the white male terrorists um, who've committed these incredibly horrible acts, not just here, but in Norway um, and, and in, uh, elsewhere in Montreal, um, part of what they're saying is they're um, quote-unquote protecting white women. And so I, what I'm attempting to do is perhaps make it a little bit more intersectional so we're not just talking about white supremacy but the way in which white supremacy works with patriarchy and sexism so that white-splaining comes from, you know, comes from the term mansplaining, which was used to talk about how um, men explain things to women. But I don't think we can talk about white-splaining or mansplaining 
without talking about how they work together. Does that make sense to you? So, so the term in, in, in the world I live in, in the academic world, is intersectionality, and that comes from black feminist thought. Okay. Um, I want to pause right here. I, I, I want to pause right here. I'm very aware of Kimberly Crenshaw, a black scholar down in the California area, because um, if I didn't ask about intersectionality, uh, and I do not accept that, uh, I'm very clear uh, in my conclusion and my definition. And if you don't agree, that's fine. You said you felt that my definition was partial. That's fine. We will have that on the record so people can keep that in mind as we proceed with the discussion. To me, all of that presents one of the greatest problems in that it greatly minimizes the role, the essential role that white women, not unlike yourself, play in the maintenance of global white power. And I don't use terms like whiteness because I feel that's another one of those euphemisms where we're really moving away from what we're talking about. We're talking about terrorism. We're talking about power to dominate and abuse, especially black people, everybody classified as not white. That's what we're talking about. And white women are essential to that practice. It's my that point. That was, in fact, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because you're, you're hang interrupting on. me. You're interrupting me. You've done it repeatedly. I'm allowing you to speak without interrupting. I stopped it, you when you brought up the intersectionality because I didn't ask about that. But I am allowing you to talk without being interrupted. I would like the same courtesy. Uh, as I said, that jargon that you presented, what I've seen consistently is it minimizes the role that white women uh, have said. And nothing that you've said on the program thus far, to me, at all <laughs> suggests that your work highlights or brings out that white women are equally culpable in the practice of white terrorism. Nothing that you've said thus far suggests that to me. Now, did you want to respond? Um, yes, I would respond. I would say the way in which white women benefit from white supremacy is different than the sort of violence we see um, white see, men like. I'm, hop, I'm, hopping in, I'm hopping in now because yeah, I think, see, that's I think you're purposely, you know what? You know what makes I sense? didn't say benefit. You, you know what maybe makes sense? is if we want to have a conversation, you actually have to let me finish. Because what you're doing right now, I'm taking an hour out of my day to talk to you. I, I don't need to do that. I'm actually trying to have a conversation. So if you want to do that, maybe you can let me finish the sentence. I don't have a problem allowing you to finish. I just, it's crucial to point okay, out, so I'm I did not now. say benefit. I just need to point this out and I'm going to hit my mute button. I didn't say benefit and that is essential. I said practice the business of practicing racism, not benefits. I never say that word when I talk about white people, whether it's Dylan Roof or any other white person. It's not about the benefits. It's about the practice of racism, white supremacy. I will mute and you can finish your uh, response. Did you have a did you have a response? Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that, that was going on now. Um, yes, my response is that the way in which white women benefit from their white supremacy that Dylan Roof participated in is because white women then get marked as you know, and sorry for the air quotes, but worth saving and needing protection by men like Dylan Roof. And so part of what I was trying to say is we are white people of all sorts ought not to disavow ourselves and act like Dylan Roof is crazy, crazy, but is outside of white supremacy because the sort of white supremacy he's engaged in exists all around us. Every time we see one of the, one of the things I write about and one of the things I teach about is, um, is weddings. And every time we think about the perfect bride and that perfect bride is marked as white and virginal and blonde and blue-eyed and we have a lot of research showing, in fact, if you, if you look at 
mainstream bridal magazines or mainstream web pages, that's the, the bride. And then and that bride is, is supposedly worth protecting by white men. And that's an old, as you know, that's an old, old narrative that dates back to, you know, Jim Crow era and excuses for lynching black men. Right? So white women have always been implicated in the violence of black men, and that is part of what I was trying to say in my essay. There's nothing outside of that white supremacy. There's nothing unusual about what Dylan Roof was expressing. He was expressing something that's so innate in whiteness and white culture and white supremacy, this idea that white women are sexually pure, uh, virginal, worth protecting, needing protection, and he himself was the protector. And that, that narrative... Um, is, is a really old and well-established one in our culture and has been used not just to commit violence against black men, but as, an, as a way of marking white women's bodies as more worthwhile. You know, whether it's tennis and uh, which women get paid the most despite how much they win, or whether it's, um, you know, these insane acts of violence committed by white men in the name of white women. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, it's lucid. Um, I will, I will move forward. Um, before I even get back to some of your specific writing, I've been trying to ask as many white people as possible, uh, about a specific quote. Uh, this is from an article that was published at the end of 2014. This was a non-white author, just FYI. Uh, but the person wrote, they were talking about racism and their conclusion was that, (coughs) excuse me, uh, oh, wait a minute. Lost my spot. Oh, there it is. Okay. Moved down the page too far. Uh, that white people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough. And the question that I've been asking uh, of white people, as much honesty as possible, do you think it's accurate? Do you think that a significant number of white people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Do you think that's true? Well, um, I, a significant number, you know, every white person should be pained by racism, and that's clearly not true. Um, and all we have to do is watch the current um, GOP candidates to know that, and the popularity of, of the most racist among them. Um, I think that the white people who are pained, including myself, um, are they pained enough? I mean, what, what's enough pain? You know, I, I don't even know. And, and how does one express enough pain? I mean, what exactly? To not benefit from it would mean, um, you know, you couldn't have a job because I'm probably benefiting from white supremacy at my job, right? I mean, I walk into a room, people assume, you know, this, and this we know from social psychology studies, like people assume I'm smarter because I'm white or that I'm more competent. Of course, they'll assume I'm less competent because I'm a woman, but they'll assume I'm more competent because I'm white. Um, people are less likely to qu- question my credentials. Um, I don't get stopped by the campus police asking me where I'm going because I, quote, unquote, belong in the university. Oh, okay, we're, we're moving. <laughs> just, I just want to get back, uh, again, if, if you could be precise right to the point. And, and that's something I just, I'm not, we've had Dr. Peggy McIntosh on the program. I'm totally done. Uh, with hearing white people rattle off all of the cool things that they get as a result of racism. I don't see any productive value to that at all. Um, So just so that I can be clear, do you think that that is accurate? Do you think? Yes. Yes. Because in order to not, in order to take that pain seriously and far enough, I would have to disavow 
all of those, you know, the knapsack, if you want, want to refer to, to Peggy McIntosh's work, I would have to, right, and I'm not exactly sure exactly how I would even do that, but somehow I, I wouldn't be able to live um, this somewhat cushy life of a college professor um, and really be committed to the pain of racism, right? To, I, I think that's true. Okay, to me, that sounds like you are not sincerely and greatly pained because if you were, you wouldn't be able to do all this. So to me, what you just said sounds like you're suggesting that this sentence is not accurate. Is that, am I understanding you correctly? No, I think that I'm saying the opposite, that the sentence is accurate and that because to be sufficiently pained would mean to stop the system from operating. I guess what I'm trying to say, and I was trying to make it personal, let me make it more general, it would be to insist on not participating in the system. But most white people aren't doing that. Right, exactly. You because, aren't doing that, so... Nope, no sir, because I am a single mother with two kids and there is no way I can, I am doing that. Okay. That's right, uh, you know. I just, to me, that still is not... If you're saying all that, that uh, if, if a white person was sincerely and greatly pained, that they would have to insist, even at personal expense on the system of racism stopping and since you and other white people aren't doing that to me that's just it's obvious that you are not sincerely and greatly pained about all this i mean that's that just seems logical but you're saying that that's not what you're saying i I thought the quote was sufficiently it's not that one isn't sincerely the question is what would be sufficient oh no no my question the, the he does get to that eventually but i'm just i'm questioning even the the beginning supposition that white people are greatly and sincerely pained about racism. I'm just asking, is that true? And you're yeah. saying that you think... No, I, I actually think sincerely, yes. Sufficiently, probably not. Okay. And greatly, because that was it. Sincerely and greatly pained. You think that a considerable number of white people are sincerely and greatly pained by racism? I don't know about a considerable number. I, I really don't. And um, I'm just trying to base this on some of the research that um, I'm familiar with. But... I don't know what a, what a great number of white people would be, but what I do see is a lot of racism operating in the post, post-racial narrative, right? We, we live in a post-racial society. Racism was something that happened in the past. This is particularly true um, of people under 30 in this country that, um, you know, they're sort of unaware that white people who are unaware that racism exists in the same way. Um, so I don't know that a great number of white people are. I think many white people are. sincerely, sincerely depressed and sad and bereft, but sufficiently probably not. Because it's, because it's, because to walk away is to, you know, live a life at some, I don't know what, a a radical outside the system. Um, I I don't know exactly what the sufficient response would be. I, I really don't. I imagine lots of us are doing the best we can in contradictory circumstances, not of our own making. Okay. As a, as a white woman in a system of racism, white supremacy, even though we have different definitions for that system, is it accurate uh, to describe you as a racist? What was the, your definition of racist? Not in my definition, but uh, give me your definition again. Well, I didn't give you my definition of a racist. I gave you my definition of racism, white supremacy. Uh, My definition of a racist would be a white person who deliberately or excuse me, directly, directly and or indirectly, consciously and or subconsciously mistreats someone because they are not white. 
directly, indirectly, consciously, subconsciously mistreating someone because they are not white. That is my definition. So in that definition, indirectly would would include passive reception and purpose, yeah? Any contribution to the abuse of non-white people, direct, indirect, knowingly, unknowingly, any contribution. Obviously, obviously I don't knowingly, and obviously I'm not, I wouldn't be talking to you if that was my, if that's who I was. That's obviously not who I think I am. Do I indirectly benefit? Of course I do. Do I indirectly, unfortunately, benefit from, from the psychosis of white masculinity like Dylan Roofs that says, White women need protecting? Of course I do. You know, have I, is, you know, is a police officer going to be nice to me? Yes, of course. Well, wait a minute. Go- have, you, have you ever mistreated an individual because they were not white? Have you ever, like, directly no. practiced racism? You never practiced racism against a non-white person? Directly mistreated an individual because of their race? No. Okay. Have you ever been accused? Has a non-white person ever suspected or accused you of practicing racism? No. Never? Not to my knowledge, not, and I obviously teach about race all the time in my class. I'm sure, I, you know, I'm sure I do a better and a worse job depending on the day, but I do my absolute best to, to have everyone in the room talking about um, these incredibly difficult histories and presence. Okay. At Middlebury, and what's the, just real quick, what's the student population, the demographics at Middlebury College? Like, how many um, I don't know. You would have to look it up, but I believe domestic students of color make up 20-something percent and international uh, 18 or 19 percent. I'm not really sure. And, of course, it depends on what sort of classes you teach. So um, if you teach courses, certain courses attract different populations. Like Um, your class? Like what's the average size and demographics, your classes? um, I tend to probably have a slightly higher number of domestic students of color because they they're also gender studies and or sociology, so those tend to be less white than, say, um, economics or American studies. But I don't actually have that data in front of me. I'm just basing that on observation and hearsay, so that's not data-driven. But, but I do think in general courses that discuss race directly um, often ha- attract a different uh, demographic. Um, it, it really depends on the course. Um, I just taught one on feminist blogging that uh, attracted um, probably a more diverse student body than most classes I've taught. Now, why feminist blogging? I mean, I could probably give you some reasons for that. Um, I still haven't really got the answer to my question about the numbers or demographics. Like, I didn't get any of that information, um, but I can, so you said I could look I it up. If I have a course with 25 students, um, it, I mean, it really depends on the course. So if I teach social theory... Um, you know, it might be, I don't know, four or five students of color out of 25. If I, when I taught feminist blogging last year, it was maybe uh, half. Um, so it really just depends. Okay. But in terms of Middlebury demographics, which are available on the website, I think it's 20 something percent domestic students. Of, but I don't, I, I think, I don't know that number. I think it's 20. I can look online. It's not, yeah, not a big not. deal. Um, one of our listeners, he wanted to make sure that we asked after they saw what your the Dylan Roof article. They wanted me to ask if you considered the Boston bomber, uh, the Tsarnaev brothers, if you considered, or at least the one that's still alive, do you consider the Boston bomber to be white like you uh, as well? That was the question they wanted to make sure we asked. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece about... Um 
that a while back when uh, it first happened. You know, it's complicated with co- uh, people from the Caucasus. And um, part of my work is in, in Russia. My first book was on Russia. And I'm actually about to move to, to St. Petersburg for a semester because I, I work with the university there. So um, uh, we, all which is a way of saying, obviously, in the Russian situation, to be from the Caucasus is not to be white the way we would think of it. Um, it's definitely considered... Uh, racially other in the in Russia, um, people from the Caucasus are targeted both because they're Muslim and because they're considered different, um, and that's a many century old uh, practice of, of colonization and oppression there. So, um, so part of me looks at him from from the point of view of um, of where he's from and how people from there are treated um, in in Russia, and then the other part is here. It's unclear post 9-11, whether someone who's from the Caucasus and Muslim is white, um, even though we use the word Caucasian, we mistakenly use the word Caucasian to mean white people um, because of an older racial theory of, of the different races that comes from Florbach, I think, in the 16th century, um, this idea that white people came from the Caucasus. Um, but but the thing we know about race is it changes uh, in in different contexts and it t- changes over time. And so I don't. That's a long winded way of saying I have. I I don't know if he's white here, and he's definitely not white in Russia. And I, I'm he's definitely a, com, a, a uh, an off white, if anything. What's the name of your piece? Like so we can go find it, or at least I can submit it to this listener. What's the name of the piece that you wrote about this? If you remember, I I, I don't know. I I'm pretty positive it's on um, Psychology Today, and it happened in and around the bombings. Um, but I will find it and send it to you. Oh, right on. I was going to look, but yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> if you can, if you can, you can find it quicker than me, I'm sure. So I'll send it. I'll post it uh, for the person who asked that uh, yes. question. Um, the back to the Dylan Roof piece that you just wrote. Dylan Roof is white like me. Uh, in that piece, at the kind of the top of it. You wrote that Roof's despicable acts of racial terrorism at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, are an are anathema to the vast majority of white people. Uh, when you say that an anathema to the vast majority of white people, what do you mean? Um, I think that most people, uh, most white people, would certainly not. Um, I mean, I, I think that you know, I don't see. Uh, large numbers of peop- white people coming out in support of his actions, um, which is different than, say, the the young man who um, killed a bunch of women at um, UC Santa Barbara um, two years ago when a lot of meninists and, and men's rights activists actually supported what he did. I don't see that happening in and around Dylan Roof, perhaps. I'm sure, I'm sure on neo-Nazi sites you see some of it. Um, but I'm just saying most white people are not going to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. That doesn't mean that, that he's not part of the whiteness that we're part of. I guess, I guess that's what I was trying to say is, um, you know, he's still part of our, our whiteness. Hmm. If you're just to me, this is my interpretation and it's fine. We can we can disagree. Um, to me, if the goal is to encourage people to process, to understand that Dylan Roof is not an anomaly, but he is the product of what you call whiteness, which again, I assert is not the most accurate term that's obfuscating what we're talking about, that Dylan Roof is a predictable product of white culture, white supremacy, the white 
race. Uh, if that's the goal, in my opinion, I think there's a lot more evidence to strongly suggest that even if white people don't publicly as often say that they support those type of actions, everything about their history, if you put it in context globally, uh, if you put it in a global context, shows that they do support the abuse and murder of black people. Uh, that's borne out if you want to look at uh, statistics legally, if who's more likely to face the death penalty if you uh, have been charged or convicted with killing a white person as opposed to a black person. Uh, the whole theme of the Black Lives Matter movement, white people do approve of exactly what Dylan Roof did, either directly in the form that he took or in other forms where it's just neglect and abuse, the type of thing that ta Coates writes about with the Fair Federal Housing Administration where black people don't get the same type of access to credit. I think that is the more important, more accurate point, in my opinion, that white people in a white culture does support that exact sort of concept action, murder, abuse of black people. They, in fact, they joke about killing black people all the time. We've had white scholars on who've gone through and looked at a lot of the white jokes that white people tell. And a lot of those jokes, the themes are killing violence against black people and that not just violence against black people, but that, but that violence against black people should be fun and enjoyable. Uh, your response? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a long history that actually, you know, starts also um, in and around the Jim Crow period of um, marking black people, and particularly black children, as um, unable to feel pain, right? I mean, if you look at any of those old Bugs Bunny cartoons, um, you know, um, which I'm sure we've all seen by now, uh, whether I'm bamboozled or in some other form, you know, you see this sort of the, the funny humor of that. Um, no, and I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, absolutely. I guess what I want to say is white people in 2015 prefer their racial violence coded, um, right? I mean, you know, we, we prefer that it's in um, redlining black and Latino neighborhoods in the inner city and then giving them eventually subprime mortgages and then saying, oh, look, look at what these people did. They brought down the economy, right? Like that sort of coded racism that doesn't mark the white bankers who insisted that the banking system be deregulated and the neoliberal politicians like Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton who deregulated it and then went in there and squeezed even more money from black families and Latino families, right? I mean, that, that sort of racism most white people can get behind. And in fact, um, you know, we, we even see a similar narrative being told about the Greeks right now. They're, they're quote-unquote lazy and they just want to sit around and drink coffee all day and they don't want to pay their taxes rather than, you know, who actually benefited from this and which bankers and which banks and, um, and why was it that, you know, they were in such a difficult position in the first place. So, so absolutely, everything you're saying is true. I guess I would say, though, I do think that for most white people in 2015, um, what Dylan Roof did is anathema in that it's too explicit, right? It, it just seems to... Um, you know, that's not the sort of, that's not the sort of um, violence uh, that, that most white people find acceptable at this point. Mm. I, I would encourage anyone to, to read her piece. That is extremely important, but that sentiment is not conveyed in the piece at all. And that's, that's the sort of thing that I mean in terms of why. Uh, I feel like frequently white people are deliberately not being totally honest in presentation uh, in terms of how we talk about these events and why these sort of things happen. I mean, if we're going to be totally honest, Dylan Roofs are predictable. 
that's what I was saying. Seriously, that that is what I wanted to say. He he is not outside the mainstream of what it, what he did was outside the mainstream, but his thought process is not. Okay, uh, and particularly what you said before about this is just a bit more explicit than our typical brand of abusing black people. The typical brand of of white terrorism that we expect twenty fifteen is generally a bit more coded. I thought that was explicit too, and also absent from the piece. Um, One of the things that I, on this program, make an effort to really emphasize is that this is not white male patriarchy, that that is totally incorrect and that that greatly minimizes the essential role that white women play in the maintenance of white terrorism, global white terrorism. Uh, As a white woman and as someone who studies this beyond just the cliche of the weeping damsel that can, you know, solicit a, a white lynch mob to go out and perform some sort of ritualistic genital mutilation. Uh, What sort of things are white women doing? What sort of roles do white women carry out day to day that maintain the system of white supremacy? And on this one, if you even want to look personally, because you are a white woman at things that you do as a white woman to make sure that the system stays in place, that would be really, really appreciated. Right. Well, we'll see if I, I'll talk personally, but, you know, one of the courses I teach is, is called Sociology of Heterosexuality, and it's also, of course, um, very much about race. Um, so I do think one of the things that, um, you know, depending, depending on your class background and educational background, but one of the things that white women participate in is this notion of sexual goodness, if not purity, then goodness, or at least some white women or huge numbers of white women participate in. Um, and I think it's... Um, you know, we see it all over the place, uh, whether it's, um, you know, whether we see it in, in the way different uh, athletes are treated or the way different, you know, why is Kate Middleton the ideal bride? And then we can watch a show like Bridezilla where um, black and Latino women who and, and some white women who are poor are marked as monsters, right? And why, why is their wanting to be a, a perfect bride marked, marked as monstrosity, a, a Godzilla-like figure? Um, so I think it happens all over the place. I think it happens in um, other ways, too. You know, the fetishization of black masculinity that many white women um, participate in. And um, I might be talking about Kardashians, although I might not, because I haven't paid attention to this week's um, Twitter wars. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's all over the place in all sorts of ways uh, um, that that white femininity is in particularly, you know, white hetero femininity is completely caught up in whiteness as a system of oppression. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's, I don't, I don't have any disagreement about that. Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the ways in which I participate in it, um, you know, I'm, I'm a white woman with blue eyes who walks through the world more or less, um, untouched by uh, racism, except in the sense that it touches people I care about. I mean, you know, I participate in it because I, I live in this world. I live in Vermont, which is, you know, even even though I live in the one little city that's in Vermont is, um, you know, 95% white, and it's a particular sort of whiteness that um, is nice, you know, and it's sort of niceness as racism, right, where People talk about the nice neighborhoods and then those other neighborhoods and people want to live in nice neighborhoods and they want to go to the nice school district and, um, you know, uh, obviously I try not to participate in those things, but do I live in a culture that 
feeds them and people have these sorts of conversations. Yes. Hmm. I should just say I have not always lived in Vermont, and, um, nor have I, you know, I, I was surprised that I ended up in a place quite this racially homogenous. Hmm. That's, uh, that response that you gave in terms of your personal participation, that's pretty normal in terms of that response. I'd almost say it's cliche uh, in terms of the uh, very passive ways that most white people will divulge in terms of how they participate in white terrorism. Um, I, I guess if I was, if I could get one redirect, you already said that you are a mom. Uh, are both of your children white? Yes, they are. Okay. Uh, I think one of the essential uh, wait, really, in my opinion, one of the ways that makes white women uh, more important in the system of white supremacy than white men is that white women are the most important teacher of white boys and white girls who grow into racist man and racist wom- uh, racist woman. You don't get Dylan Roof without white mom. Uh, what are some of the things, so some of the roles that white mothers play in producing the next generation of racists? Right. Um, I think there are all sorts of them. And so many that I, I have daughters, so I think it's a different conversation. But I think one of the ways whiteness gets replicated between mothers and daughters is in and around notions of um, sexual purity, and not to play that out too much. Uh, but I think a notion that um, uh, our daughters are good and um, couldn't possibly be in trouble. I think the fact that my daughters, who are um, teenagers now, can you know make mistakes and they're not going to go to jail. Uh, they're not, you know, if they smoke some marijuana the way many people in Vermont do, they're not going to end up doing time. But if we look at the the incarceration rates for for Black Vermonters, we see that they're the second highest per capita in the nation. Um, so you know, I think part of the way we replicate that is, um, is by treating our children as if they're innately good and acting as if the punishment that happens to black and, and Latino children is um, reasonable or deserved. I mean, those are not things that I believe and not things that I've raised my children to believe, but do I see it around me? Yes, of course. Um, you know, and uh, it's impossible to not see it. I, I think also the school thing, you know, I, I had my kids in Brooklyn the conversations in and around schools in Brooklyn is intense um, and intensified as they got older. Uh, and it's all about going to the good school, whatever that means. Um, and, you know, there, the elementary school district that we were in had the, the special and gifted children. And they were mostly, um, you know, from the middle class and primarily white families. And then they had the regular kids who were um, mostly not. Um, you know, so it gets replicated in all those ways. And, and do you as a white mother or do I as a white mother push my kid into the special program if I think it's going to, you know, help them get into the better middle school? Yeah, of course, you know, that, that's a way in which one both participates in parenting and white supremacy at the same moment. Hmm. Let's nab some of our callers, uh, folks that have questions. Uh, the caller who dialed in last four digits Five six four zero five six four zero. We want to try and get as many callers as possible. So if you could get right to your question, not a whole lot of speechifying and statements. You can do that later. Uh, just get to your question uh, for uh, Professor Lori Essig. Uh, caller at five six four zero. Did you have a question? Yes. Uh, good. Good afternoon. Good evening, Gus and the guests. 
I'd like to ask the guest uh, what her definition of racism is. Um, what my definition of racism is? Is that the question? Sorry, I'm having a little trouble hearing. Yes. My definition of racism would be a system of oppression that benefits one group of people um, over another or over others on the basis of race. Does that system have to be global? No. Is it? Yes. But does it play out very differently in different parts of the world? Yes, right. So, yeah, so I guess um, by my definition, for instance, many people who we now mark as white were previously subject to systems of racism, for instance, Jews um, during the Holocaust or Jews in Russia at any moment or, right, so, so by my definition, it's not necessarily about white supremacy, although in our context it usually is. Did that... That answered your question, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. Uh, firefighter in Florida, did you have a question for Lori Essick, Professor Lori Essick? You should be with us. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think uh, the guests uh, uh, acquiesced to uh, white people talking about racism. Uh, that uh, it is paramount that they are honest and also. Uh, not to be uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, so here goes. Uh, the people activity of sex. Sex between white people and non-white people who are victims of racist white supremacy. Uh, what is your uh, thought on that subject? Do you think it's correct for uh, white people under the system of racism and white supremacy to be having sex with non-white people? Um, I, I think it's complicated. And, uh, boy, um, I know that you don't appreciate intersectionality, Gus, but I do think, uh, you know, to say that people in different positions of power can't have sex would probably mean that most men and women can't have sex. Um, so I, I, I think it's complicated. And uh, it depends on the situation, and it depends what sorts of things people bring to that relationship. I'm sure there are very loving relationships between, uh, I know there are, uh, between people from different racial backgrounds. So um, sex is a different story. I mean, fetishization, if, that, if your question is, is it okay to fetishize? No, no. And I think it happens all the time. I mean, I think we really see, particularly the fetishization of black men by white women at this at this particular juncture. Uh, hang on, uh, caller in Florida. I just want to make sure I nab get at least one from everybody really quick. Uh, the caller at seven five three seven. Did you have a question for Professor Lori Essig? Good evening, everybody. Um, yes, sir. Can I can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure if you agree with being called a racist. Is that correct? I, yeah, I didn't agree with... I, I think I'm a little confused about what the definitions are as to whether it's about benefiting from white supremacy or actively 
I just I want to hop in right, right quick because I made an explicit point of saying that I do not use the term benefit. And I think that you, Lori Essek, are deliberately practicing white supremacy because I've been very clear about my disregard for that term. So I just want to make sure that that's on the record. You can continue with your response. Whoops. Well, um, my question is, uh, uh, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to replace this uh, system of racial white supremacy? And, or, and when I mean by sacrifice, I mean uh, after you sacrifice this, the system will completely uh, be eliminated. And I'll meet my line. Yeah, well, one thing I'm willing to sacrifice is this conversation, which has not, to my mind, uh, been as productive as I wish it had been. Um, but on a more serious level, um, you know, I'm willing to give my time. I'm willing to give my energy. I work within the institution I work in for a, um, as, as much as I can within the confines of that institution. The work is contradictory, but it's all about um, making sure that we don't just have students of color, but we have faculty of color, which we have, have a real um, problem with at Middlebury and, and you know there's a lot of people trying to fix that problem. Um, I, I mentor um, junior faculty and postdocs, uh, postdoctoral students um, in order to hopefully help that happen. I attempt in my way to give as much time as I can. Obviously I show up at demonstrations and I'm part of that too but I, that's not where my um, I think that the tools I can bring to it, I personally, and I'm like you, I'm one person, so what are we going to do, you know? I mean, you can do the best you can in contradictory and messed up circumstances and hope um, somehow, somewhere, something by all sorts of people participating will change it. Uh, but, um, you know, for me, it's more about changing the institution I work in um, and, and living a sort of life that I am actively attempting to not be a racist. Uh, however, that is defined. Uh, not just actively attempting, actively attempting to call out um, white supremacy where it's happening and attempt to mitigate its effects within the institutions and groups that I'm a part of. Uh, M1, M1, did you have a question uh, for Professor Lori Essick? You should be with us, M1. Oh, yes. Hi. Uh, good evening. Uh, to the guest, do you believe white women are targeting black black males like Bill Cosby, Janice Winston, DeAndre Cook, in order to practice white supremacy or do you believe that these white females are just and victims of these black males? Well, I believe that everybody's um, should get a trial and a fair trial. Now, whether or not a fair trial for Bill Cosby is a possible thing, I, I have no idea. Um, I, I think uh, it's an interesting, his is a particularly interesting one, right, because there's such a wide variety of people who are making uh, women charges. Um, but do I believe that it's possible that uh, charges can be made 
completely unfairly against black men because of this long legacy of um, lynching black men in order to protect white female virtue, of course. I mean, I think the, the O.J. Simpson trial was, was a really interesting one for those reasons, right, where if you look at, there's an example of um, a real racial divide in this country. I think it was about 95% of white Americans thought he was guilty and about 95% of, of black Americans thought he was innocent. Um, and, you know, much has been written about that particular trial and how, in particular, the chase in the Bronco was not unlike the, the prelude to a lynching, you know. That uh, answered the question. Uh, M1, did that answer your question, sir? Uh, no, that was just rambling. Hmm. Well, I think that there's probably um, a difference in communicative styles, uh, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to comment on a trial that is yet to happen, but if, if you want to ask whether or not I believe it's possible for people to be, un black men to be unfairly accused because of a long history of racism and judicial violence against them because of white female virtue, yes, of course I believe that that is possible. And I'm using O.J. Simpson as an example of that. Did that uh, answer your question, M1? Oh, that was that was a little better. Uh, uh, I, I'll go ahead. I'll let someone else. Okay. Uh, the caller, uh, Joy, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essig? Uh, Joy, did you have a question? Uh, Joy, are you with us? Did you have a question? Are you just listening? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm here. Oh. Um, thank you for taking my call. I, I did have a, a question. I, I did hear, um, hear you say a little bit earlier, you were talking about the, I guess, the phenomenon of, of white men coming to the rescue of, of white women. And yes. you seem to be kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, opposed to that. Yes, yes. And, and, um, and, and my thought that, that that is one of the biggest problems in the system of racism, white supremacy. They don't think twice. They, they just run in and they do something, you know, horrific based on a perception of a threat to a white female. So, so what are your thoughts as far as fixing that part of the problem? Yeah, no, I think you said it exactly right. That is the major way in which white women contribute to white supremacy, and it, it, it's such a long and ugly historical record, you know, from, from lynchings in, in 1900 to O.J. Simpson and whatever that was, 1995, um, to uh, everything we've seen happen in the past couple of years. And, and I do think even when um, police are committing these atrocious acts of violence against young black men, it's because they've been marked as threats to white women, even if that's not the conscious thing. It's such, a, it's such an old story that American uh, white culture has been telling itself. Um, so, yes, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That is the, the major way in which um, white femininity and, and is caught up in, in all this. 
Uh, hang tight. I'm going to make sure. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure I get at least one from everybody. Um, the person at uh, 8179, 8179, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essick? Um, good evening, Mappy Hurt. Yes, ma'am. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have one question, and the question is, do you, who do you feel is most ignorant about um, racism, white supremacy, or just the system? white people or non-white people, and can you give um, an explanation to your answer, please? Oh, yeah, definitely white people, because we don't have to think about it, right? I mean, it doesn't, it, uh, you know, we can, um, we can glide through the world without racism impacting us. Uh, so so I, what I find in teaching a course called White People is, um, you know, uh, a lot of the actual history and, and um pieces of, of how, say, for instance, redlining black neighborhoods and then and simultaneously giving loans to white returning soldiers. Maybe not. Maybe the black students don't know about that, but they know that, you know, racism exists and it exists in terms of banks and it exists structurally and there's a long history of it. Um, whereas I think for a lot of white students studying whiteness, it, it can come as quite a surprise that they don't, um, you know, their grandparents didn't work harder but actually got a form of state welfare in the form of zero interest loans for college and houses and um, you know that can be really uh, it's not that they haven't thought about racism but maybe they haven't thought about how the racism circulates in their families as well we worked hard for our money and that's why we live in this nice gay community and that's why you go to this nice school and um, it can be a much more uh, crisis of existence in, in, in a much deeper way um, for them. It's not just about knowledge acquisition, but actually can create a, an identity crisis, if that makes sense. Um, okay. Um, so basically what you're saying is white people are more ignorant because they don't have to think about it. Is that basically what you were saying? Yes, I would say in the same way men are more ignorant of sexism because it doesn't, you know, not to say they can't be hyper-aware and be feminist, but it's a lot easier to glide through the world being sexist if you're a man. Hmm. Okay, um, I, I just wanted to um, get your response on that, and I will meet my line. Thanks, Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas in New York, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essick? Yes, I do. How are you tonight, Gus? How are you, Miss Essex? Good, thank you. Um, how come it is whenever we have and we, we on this show we have several white women um come on and they always try to draw this parallel line between racism and sex um system that they they got on behalf of white men. Um, isn't it safe to say that both white men and white women are more dominant than black people in general? So why would you draw that parallel? And my last question for you, I'll leave my line, is can you define whiteness? Um, okay, I would say in answer to your first question, because it's impossible to talk about racism without also talking about gender. That I mean, that's what a lot of callers have been saying, right? The way in which white femininity structures white supremacy in all sorts of ways. So I'm not interested in talking about them as separate entities um, and as for um, you know who's more uh, powerful I think that that really also depends on class 
uh, and socioeconomic status. Um, so all those things have to be, you know, in some ways considered together. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Does a what? Any. You was, you, was, you was going off. I was saying, um, are you telling me that a rich, a rich black person has more power than a poor white woman? Is that what you're uh, saying? In, in many aspects, yes. I, I mean, yes, probably, um, yes, in many aspects, yes. I mean, for instance, if that poor white woman is a victim of domestic abuse and she is poor and she lives in public housing, that's probably not going to be taken very seriously. If she is raped, that's probably not going to be taken very seriously because she is poor. Um, so I'm not saying that racism isn't real, but I'm saying to think about how her gender and her poverty impact her is also, you know, important. Uh, I think that poverty is, you know, horrendous, and it's horrendous regardless of race or gender, but race and gender shape that experience of poverty. Uh, hang tight, Thomas, in New York, trying to get uh, all the folks here. 5098-5098, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essig? Call her at five, last four digits, 5098-5098. Did you have a question? Just listening. Yes, may I, may I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a question. I, I was listening to you. In fact, um, it appears to me that I think uh, you're deliberately practicing racism because you keep trying to interject feminism and actually become, I think it's very deceptive. Listening, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a three-card Molly game and I'm having trouble following the black card. Please, I'm, I'm not trying to just sling charges at you. I just want to say you're not being very, very clear. I heard you say that white people are ignorant. So my question to you, can you think of any other type of civilization, past or present, that have been ignorant, who have completely dominated uh, society. Right now, white, uh, white supremacy racism has the 500-year run, um, completely in all nine areas of activity, education, economy, entertainment, uh, uh, politics, labor, law, religion, sex, and war. Can you think of any other group, Rome, whatever else, who have completely dominated and have been ignorant? And I'll mute my line. I, I, I guess, yes, I would say that most um, forms of oppression, uh, people tell themselves stories to make it not be about oppression, right? It's about, think about the British in India. It was about, quote-unquote, civilization and bringing civilization. Um, you know, if I think about Russia and the Caucasus, it's a similar, um, it's a similar narrative. So I think that people, uh, civilizations rise and fall on the basis of the ability to hide um, that, that wasn't hide my violence. question. My question was, you made a comment that white people are ignorant about white supremacy racism. I'm saying I have yet to see anyone who was ignorant, who have completely dominated all nine areas of success society so successfully for the last 500 years. I have yet to see anyone who was ignorant, who completely... I, I submit to you that the white woman and the white man work in tandem as practitioners of white supremacy racism, which is why this system has been intact for the last 500 years. I'm saying Get to in, you... Uh, more statements, more statements, another, more statements. Yeah. Okay, name another society who has been ignorant anywhere who has completely dominated an area of society. 
would have been ignorant. I, I, again, I would just say the British in India. I, I think that most forms of violence happen because people tell themselves they're doing something good. Think about most wars, right? They're done because we're liberating Iraq or freeing Afghan women or, right? I mean, horrible forms of violence. The, the Third Reich thought that they were doing what? They didn't think that they were killing Jews and, and gay people and Roma. What they thought was they were building a new civilization. Um, so, so all I mean by that is people... People who are in power don't usually have to think about that power too much. And to the extent they do, they tend to th tell themselves stories where they're not the bad guys. That's, I, I think that's how it works. Because to tell yourself the story where I don't deserve what I have, you know, my hard work is not what got me here, white, su white supremacy is what got me here, which is actually more accurate, is, is a really difficult, you know, that's a really difficult statement to, for people to tell themselves. The caller in Alabama, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essig? Uh, you should be with us. Caller in Alabama, are you with us? Not hearing you. Mute your line, maybe. Still, last checking. Do you st are, are you with us? Caller in Alabama, can you hear us, sir? Hmm. I'm not sure uh, what the issue is. It looks like you're... Line should be open, uh, 9281, but we're not hearing you. I don't know if you if you bumped your mute button or if you're having audio difficulties or what have you. Can I be heard? Oh, there you go. Yes, sir, we can hear you. Okay, uh, I apologize about that. Um, yes, I heard her speak about sexism and, you know, how it relates between, you know, how, you know, how it relates to racism and stuff like that. <clears throat> Could you... Tell me, are you familiar with Emma Till? Yes, of course. Okay, could you tell me, like, explain to me, like, how did the system of sexism, as you want to say it, sexism, how, how did that benefit Emma Till or the Scottsboro Nine? I, I wouldn't say that those are, well, I think that how does it, be, how do they happen on the backs of patriarchy? Because it is a system of patriarchy that puts white men in positions of authority over white women and therefore able to name themselves as protectors, despite the fact that they're the ones who also commit the vast majority of violence against white women, right? But, but part so, of that. So when you, so when you, so when do you, when you speak, about sexism, do you make sure, because from what I heard, I didn't hear you do that, but I could be wrong, because I didn't catch the full, the full program, but do you, do you make sure to point out that you're talking about white, the, the relationship between white males and white females only when you speak about this system that, that, that you white people call sexism? Well, no. I mean, yes, that is what I'm talking about when we're talking about Emmett Till. Um, but can sexism operate in other fields also? Yes, but in complicated ways. So all I mean by that is when a white woman and a black man, let's say, are uh, competing for a job, let, let's say that, there are different ways in which racism will play out and sexism will play out in that job uh, competition, and I mean, this isn't just a, you know an idea of mine. This is fairly backed up in the social science research that people will make assumptions about one candidate based on her gender, 
but his gender will be completely invisible, the way dominant groups are, and people will make assumptions about him based on his race, although, yeah, her, race, although her race will be completely invisible, because that's the thing about dominant groups, is they, they operate in a sea of invisibility. Can I ask you a question? Sure. And I would just like to know, have you ever worked for a black-owned company? For a black-owned company? Um, to be perfectly honest, I've never worked for a company because I'm an academic, and I can assure you that they have been white-dominated. I'm talking about like when you was in school or anything, because you probably worked when you was in college uh, or whatever like that. See, yeah. Um, trying to think back on all the terrible and horrible fast food jobs I had. Um, maybe one uh, bad restaurant I worked in, yeah, was, was black-owned. Okay. Did you experience um, sexism now? Basically, I want to know how, how, how but, tell me your but experience. These things, but these things aren't, yes, I'm and, sure and I black did males, Black males are sexism. That's what I'm trying to find out now. So you're saying a black man couldn't be sexist. Is that what you're saying? Is that your question? I Can a black asking, man? I don't. I, I, if I'm, I'm, I might be confused, but the whole time I've been asking questions. I haven't made one statement. I'm asking you. Could you tell me about your past dealings with black males practicing sexism against you personally? Because you're speaking about it. You know. Right. So, so I'll, I'll give you an like example. I, yeah. So I, I actually think that some of the way in which this dialogue has played out, because. As far as I understand, I was invited on the show as someone who studies something, um, and instead of being allowed to, you know, instead of that, I feel like there's been a little bit of um, accusations going on by certain people, not everyone. Some people have been perfectly uh, ready to engage in a conversation, but I do think some people are more happy to um, not hear what I'm saying, and maybe it's maybe it's just because I'm white, but I actually think it's also because I'm a woman. I think they're working together in certain ways. So, uh, are, you saying, are, are, you actually, saying, are you saying that's what, are you saying right now I'm practicing sexism against you? No, no, but I think that the tenor of this conversation oh, oh. Has, has been set, and the tenor of this conversation is accusatory and not particularly productive. Um, and, okay. uh, well, and so well, this isn't I'm about you, it's about I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't mean, I want to ask my question, I'm going to let you go on out of respect. And, um, but I would just want to know, not during the show, before the show. So, during the show, is the first time you ever experienced sexism by black men? No. 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 Okay. I mean, look. So could you, you tell know, me some other time if you don't mind? I'll tell you another time. You know, I grew, I, I grew up in New York and in Brooklyn. I can tell you that it's happened in my life that black men have been sexist to me. It has happened more often that white men have been sexist to me. But it has what, definitely what happened. Happen black is, what happened when black men did? What the same sort of thing. The same sort of things that white men would do, you know, um, commenting, strangers commenting on uh the length of my hair or whether I had shaved my legs or what, how I'd be pretty if I grew my hair long or, you know, whatever, just whatever that stuff is where, so, so men, where men feel so entitled, sexism. where men feel entitled to, sorry, uh, to comment on women's bodies. That's a form of sexism. It doesn't, you know, I'm not saying it's not a racialized form. Uh, it is, but you know, it's, and it primarily happens from white men in my case, but it, it can happen. It can happen across um, you know, I'm getting to an age where it doesn't happen anymore that often. But when I was a young woman, it happened all the time. Is that sexism? Of course it's sexism. Okay. 
Okay. Well, I'm. I was just. I'm gonna end People. my statement by. I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end my thing by saying, when you say someone telling you, "Hey, you look nice today," or "You look nice with shaved legs." Hey, somebody tell me I look nice today. What about when they ask roll, me to roll perform me, sexual roll acts? Me, roll me, it would be so bad. What, what, what about but, when they ask me to perform sexual acts on them? Or what about if they ask, you know, uh, there's all sorts of things people say. Yeah, people have asked me that. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Okay. Should I repeat well, the exact phrase? I, th- I think you can guess. Okay. You know. I'm going to ask a question. Yeah, the, the, the answer is... Many men have said and participated in all sorts of sexist acts in my life. Of course, I'm a woman. In 2015, things happen. Most of that has been done by white men. We had one other person that wanted to get a question. I just wanted to ask quickly before I moved on. uh, Do you think it's logical for black people to be suspicious of white people under a system of racism, white supremacy, to think that it's possible that that white person could be a white supremacist racist? Do you think that that's logical? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Caller yeah. at uh, 2838, 2838, last four digits. Did you have a question for Professor Lori Essig? Yes, I, I just had a quick question for uh, Dr. Lori. Um, so, during this time that we've been on the, on the call and conversation, you have uh, basically um, wanted to prove that sexism exists because it's happened to you. It's your personal experience. Um, you can name all these times when men have um, uh, basically disrespected you in certain ways, asking you for sexual acts and so forth. But when we as black people tell you about racism and how it exists, and what we're perceiving to be happening to us, it seems that you have every excuse and piece of commentary to offer as to why that's not so. And you continue to skirt around the issue. So why is it that you, Dr. Lurie, can perceive that um, we're in a male-dominant society, but when we as people tell you about the racism that we see existing in the dominant form as white supremacy, you 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 have to refrain from uh, accepting that and acknowledging your role as a white person operating within that system. That's my question. I, I'm sorry if that's how you felt. I did. I, I could. I. It's not my impression that that's what I was doing. Nobody was talking to me. Uh, that I heard saying, hey, this was my experience of racism, and I was saying, no, it's not. That did not happen in my world. But I'm sorry if you heard it happening that way. Um, I, I, I have no, you know, what I was told is that there's no such thing as sexism or that feminism isn't a useful, useful analytic tool. And, you know, quite honestly, that's not my experience of the world, and I wouldn't invite a feminist guest, uh, someone who teaches in a feminist studies program on if that's how I thought about the world. And if I did, I, I would try to acknowledge that that's the point of view they were coming from. I mean, it's like asking a Marxist on and have them not talk about class. I, you know, that's the world I come from. That's the work I do. It has everything to do with racism, and I absolutely want to take racism seriously. I don't think there was any moment at which I denied someone's experience of racism. 
I think what has happened is feminism has been feminism has been disavowed as a useful analytic, and I'm I'm attempting to say, actually, it's feminism that allows us to think about how white femininity is implicated in white supremacy. That that's all. How how relevant how relevant is the discussion of feminism on a show or or a radio broadcast that is called the concept of white supremacy? Because what you really are doing is you're side-skirting the issue of racism, white supremacy, by talking about feminism, which honestly doesn't even apply uh, predominantly to black people. Because black people, black men, didn't start um, uh, mistreating uh, black women and white women during slavery and so forth. That was white men. That Getting more statements, more statements. Do you have a question? Do you have a question? So, okay. No, no, that's, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the person at uh, 3358-3358, did you have a question for Professor Lori Essick? Did you have a question, 3358? Greetings. Um, the question that I have, which is more powerful, feminism or racism? Well, racism is more powerful which is a good analytic tool for figuring out how white supremacy works, I would say that the black feminist thought that produced intersectionality is the way in which I approach this. I do understand that Gus has a different point of view, but, but that is where I come from and that is the sort of work I do. So I, I, you can't expect a, a, a turnip to act like a potato. I don't want Um, you just lost me right there. I'm totally confused. Um, I can't expect the turnip to act like a potato. I'm saying I do feminist work in the way in which I analyze racism in this country. And that feminist okay. work is an intersectional approach. It, it, it takes into account gender as well as race, as well as class, as well as okay. nation, all sorts of things. And so right, for so me, we're, it's we're talking about feminist work. Okay. So, right. so uh, that's how I approach. So would you say? Okay, so would you say the plight of Sojourner Truth was that feminism or was that racism? Well, her her plight was racism, but I think she used feminism to talk about that plight. She used feminism, or feminism used her. Well, that, that's a question I can't answer, but I think that, you know, when she, in the speeches she gave, with which I am familiar, she was using, she was calling feminism accountable to itself for taking race into account. Um, and in some ways... Complain. Did she not complain about being used by white women to not get anything... What, but that doesn't mean that feminism, that's the, the strength of feminism, right, is it's full of self-criticism and it's full of, in fact, black women often pushing white women to think more carefully. Um, that doesn't mean that, 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 that we need to abandon the toolbox. It just means that the toolbox gets more, um, better tools. My issue is not, hang, hang on a, a my second. Issue, uh, hang on a second to Pelo, because... Anyone who ever questions uh, when I say on the program 
no metaphors when we talk about racism. This is going to be the program that I reference from now forward, uh, where we went from turnips to toolboxes and talking about <laughs> racism. Anybody ever again questions or gets confused? What are you talking about, Gus? Everybody, yes, everybody uses metaphors exactly. But what do I consistently say? You will have white people, and I suspect that it is a deliberate act of racism. They will come in on conversations of racism and start throwing around a lot of metaphors that will okay, end up well, confusing. You're interrupting me again, and frankly, because I did hear you earlier, in my view. You have practiced racism in a myriad of ways throughout the program. It's not tied up in your viewpoint about femininity. In my view, it's just your dedication to white supremacy. You've exhibited a lot of the exact same behavior patterns that many white men, some of them admitted racists, have come on this program and done. It doesn't have anything to do with you being a female. It has to do with my, in my opinion, with you being dedicated and committed to white supremacy and i'm ready to sacrifice you too so thank you for sharing your time peace out she hung up the phone which is exactly what i wanted her to do um that oh, was uh, I, was I wasn't i wasn't i wasn't interested in hearing any more responses i wasn't interested in hearing any more of her responses <laughs> I was done. um i hope if anything one thing that i would point out i'll let you know folks get their commentary in before uh we wrap things up. One thing that I would emphasize, because she said that, I don't care what the conduct is. She acknowledged that a non-white person, black people, it's logical, it's reasonable to be suspicious of any white person as long as the system of white supremacy exists. She said that exactly. that system, uh, I'm going to go ahead and mute <laughs> so I can finish up and I'll just unmute folks once I'm done. But she said the system exists. Now, she didn't share my definition but she did say that the system exists. She said that she's white. She said it's logical for that suspicion suspicion to be there. That is a pattern. You've heard that before. White people will agree with all those things. Absolutely, racism exists. It's a problem. Oh, yeah, you should be suspicious. But then when you're suspicious of them, it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You can be suspicious, but those white people, didn't I just tell you it's the GOP white people? Didn't I just tell you that it's white patriarchy? Didn't I just tell you that it's the Republicans? Didn't I just tell you that it's the Klan and the white people in the South with the Confederate flag? Not me. I am a good white person. We have seen that pattern play out consistently. I know there are many individuals, if you're coming through the school system uh, right now, particularly if you've been to college university setting if you've been to the white privilege conference or some of the different uh conferences lectures programs and things that they have set up uh by white people who have written uh who have written books papers published they have some credentials they get some television time to talk about racism all of that intersectionality and sexism and what have you, that's going to be a part of the rhetoric. In my opinion, it's weaponized. That's going to be a part of the confusion. Now, am I saying that females are never mistreated? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is this. It is, this was challenging for me, like when people in the past through the years have said, man, Gus, some of the times these white people that you have on the program, I couldn't be that patient. I would have to curse one of these heifers out. <laughs> like, uh, having these different white people on the program, so many people have said that, and I feel you. I feel the same way in trying to be patient, and not, you know, when you hear, particularly when you start to become a little clear and you can hear them not answering questions and kind of doing the same thing, same patterns that you've heard. This was a challenging because I felt like she was just nonsense out 
of the from the very beginning when she said she likes to talk about racism and use the term whiteness because it takes it off of white people. That was the whole kit and caboodle right there. Like I, I almost thought things were going to derail and we were going to hang up right there in the first five minutes when I have any white person any white person when we say we're serious we're going to have a conversation about racism but we don't want to center this on white people i already know you are coming like full force with total nonsense and trying to confuse and practice white supremacy on me in an intensified way it's no other conversation that starts like that if you're talking about any other crime i emphasize that if you listen to this program white supremacy is a crime like anything else there's no other crime. When they go for feminism, I'm sure they don't sit down and say, well, we're going to talk about feminism and we're not going to talk about men. We're just going to move that from the discussion because this really doesn't have. That's not the way that the conversation operates. When they come in to talk about uh, Al Qaeda, when they come in and talk about ISIS or any other perceived threat, when it was the knockout gang uh, a couple of years ago, the conversation does not start. Well, we're going to talk about ISIS and we're going to leave uh, Muslims or whoever these individuals are. And we're going to leave them out of the discussion. That's not the way the conversation goes. When they were talking about the knockout game, they were not talking about young black people and leaving them out of the conversation. That's not the way it works. It is impossible. It is nonsense to have a conversation about racism and not focus on center it on white people like our guests. That's what I mean when they come out of the box with nonsense and then going hard on the feminism. And it's just like, if that's the metaphor that you're going to use, the effect that I've seen consistently is it minimizes the role of white women. And I would even say, if all you're going to do is focus on white women as crying and sex objects, you have missed half of the story. Yes, white women, no one does it better in the business, crying and pretending to be a victim. No one does it better. That is not, that is not the total package with regards to the way that white women function and practice racism. They are every bit as effective at being able to function as violent, aggressive ambassadors of white power. And if you don't think so, you are setting yourself up for a lot of confusion. In fact, when she talked about that whole sexual dynamic, that that's the major way that white women practice racism, all that kept blinking in my mind was Dr. Canbaum. He says, anybody that doesn't think that white women practice racism, go to your local school. When they keep talking about all these disparity rates with suspensions and expulsions and why all these discipline, uh, disciplinary problems, they had that big story, the black female, she was on Melissa Harris Perry. They had a report in the Washington Post last year. She had two very small children. They were like younger than five in like kindergarten and preschool and this sort of thing. And they had been suspended already. That is white women. If your only conception of white women practicing racism is something associated with the bedroom, you have totally missed the boat on the full range, the full scope of how white women devastate and dominate on this here plantation called planet earth racism white supremacy you have totally missed it if you haven't seen anything else over the last two three weeks the mckinney pool situation we talked about that that was white women who instigated that they weren't in the bedroom they were just out functioning as terrorists not fragile not weak not timid they went to town and then they still can flip and just call the police. Oh, these black people are wilding out 
and the cavalry will be there. Absolutely, they can still do that, but you cannot restrict, reduce the role of white women and just act like they are subservient and dependent on white men. That is nonsense of the highest order. I would even pull out that statistic. Uh, I was able, thankfully, to download the graphic, uh, and I can even give them uh, credit. They produced, uh, it was, I think, last summer. I'm pulling it up. Uh, here we go. I tweeted it out last summer. The statistic came from the studentimpactproject.org, studentimpactproject.org. The information that they released, it shows that across the board, they were looking at probability of employment by educational attainment. So they looked to see, right, if you have a high school degree, if you got some college, maybe you got a bachelor's degree, did you get some grad school uh, to see what your likelihood of getting employment was. The person who was most likely to be employed regardless of educational attainment, Lori Essex the white woman. That's the sort of thing that I mean. Like it's, it's repugnant to me to have a white woman like her. And we've had quite a few of them want to come on and they really want to go hard on the feminism and making it almost seem like they too are victims. We talked about that last year with Jill Abramson, white women do a great job of making it seem like it's white men, it's white male patriarchy. It's us white women and the rest of you niggers. <laughs> We're in this together. That's not what is happening at all. Even the nonsense when she did concede that some of the things that either myself or listeners were saying were correct when I challenged her on the Dylan Roof in the beginning of her article where she says that his violence is an anathema to most white people. That's not true. The whole system of racism, white supremacy evidences that that's not true. White people have no problem with all types of violence against black people. That's generally something that they support and or crowdsource. All you got to do is go back and look at Darren Wilson. George Zimmerman, pick one. <laughs> Even uh, Daniel Holtzclaw got in on some of that for raping black females. That's the whole history of white supremacy. And that's what I mean about being disingenuous. I think back in the day when I was more confused, when I didn't pay as, as much attention, when I didn't have that suspicion, I would have thought that this white woman was, hey, this is somebody. She is cool. I want to have her on the program and she is great <laughs> if we just had 10 more. Back then, that is not the case now. Uh, I was very aware of her credentials. I even think she pulled some of the talking down to black people to make it seem like, oh, you dumb niggas just can't understand what I'm saying. We have a difference uh, in communicative styles and all that. forget that. And that's one thing I would encourage anyone. If you're a new listener, old listener, uh, do not be intimidated. Any white person, I don't care how many degrees they got. For one, white people are the champs of faking credentials and degrees and lying about stuff. So do not ever be intimidated about that. If you don't understand what they're saying, just ask them to explain it so that you can understand. I have been greatly retarded. White people didn't allow black people to get the best education. So I might be a little slow. Just wait for me to catch up. And if they are sincere white person, they should be down to do that. Do not ever be intimidated. But I felt like she definitely played some of that as well to try to make it seem like she was just too scholarly and nuanced for us ignorant black people to understand or to grasp what she was trying to say. Uh, I think she was just practicing racism, white supremacy at the highest level. Uh, I was going to read because she did write a report about the Rachel Dozel situation, but it was so. It was a great representation. I'll put it this way. That article is a great representation of what I heard the last hour, roughly hour and a half. I don't know if they're newer listeners and this is kind of your first time hearing the cows or if this is one of the first times that you've heard a white person kind of challenged 
and a white person accused of practicing racism. If you're a newer listener and this is your first time hearing, go back and listen to some of the older programs uh, so you can just kind of process some of the concepts, the definitions in terms of how the program operates. But if you are a longtime listener, this should be very familiar, and particularly the conduct of a white woman. Uh, I will in there. Uh, my last, my only statements of emphasis would be, again, this is a, a, a wonderful illustration of why I insist on being very careful about metaphors. When we start talking about racism, we got a lot of them. The femininity or sexism being compared to racism, uh, the turnips later on when it really got out of control and the toolbox and all of that. But that is why I've seen a lot of that down through the years. And it's just white people being silly. And even her little snide remark, I think at about the 50 minute mark or so, where she said uh, when the caller asked, what are some of the things she's willing to sacrifice? This is supposed to be a well-meaning white woman who is obviously not racist. Her first response is, well, I'm ready to sacrifice this conversation because it hasn't been productive tacky trifling and terroristic that's the best you can expect thank you laura essick i'm glad she hung up exactly what i wanted we will take a commercial and then i will come back and nab all the folks uh, in the queue if you have anything you would like to share if you are listening in if you have comments we'll have uh, ample time for folks to uh, get their commentary in context of white supremacy we should be right back is racism hurting you On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree? Counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. That's counter-racism.com. Do you need a one-stop shop for all of your multimedia needs? Triumphant Multimedia is a skilled team of professionals with a passion for great marketing and chic design. Our specialties include consulting, brand development, copywriting, and creative graphic design that's second to none. We also offer photography, photo retouching, videography, and video editing. At Triumphant Multimedia, our goal is to provide highly effective creative solutions built to suit any individual need or budget. Give us a call at 678-732-8067 or check us out online at TRI multimedia.com hi everyone welcome this is justice with the cows radio program if you want to learn about understand and counter racism white supremacy be sure not to miss a cows episode. 
We keep them jammed, packed with constructive information to sharpen your use of words to help eliminate the system of racism, white supremacy, ASAP. Also, to be able to invest in my counter-racist efforts, co-hosting the Cows Radio Program, please visit my blog, Just Do Justice Today. .blogspot.com You're just saying just buckets and buckets of words. Uh, before I get to the callers, I'm just reading because I'm writing about this right now. I just got my uh, assignment. I'm halfway done uh, writing about the danger of white women and that is a part of my report because that's cliche um to just to sum up white women's role in racism to just say well they whine and cry and get black people in trouble around rape i mean yes that's well documented they do a lot of that but that (laughs) i can only emphasize that is not the totality of white women's danger and if you think it is you are in for a rude awakening Uh, i would all you have to do is get your yearbook. I am sure <laughs> you should have some memories. Get a yearbook from elementary school or wherever if you had white teachers and or reflect on your work experience with white women and tell me if they're only dangerous with regards to, you know, maybe hampering a black male here or two around some rape allegations. Yes, that's serious, but that's not the whole picture. Um, since Scottsboro was mentioned, I did reference uh Dr. Tommy Curry, when he was on the program, I think last summer, uh, he rattled off just uh, a litany of great black female scholars uh, who, in my opinion, have given a correct assessment (laughs) that racism, white supremacy is the most dominant problem on the planet uh, and did not minimize the role of white women. In fact, highlighted some of the ways that white women have been a uh, have been co-conspirators, co-conspirators. Uh, to the domination of black people. Uh, This is Alison Richards uh, on page 10, her book, Rape, Racism, and the White Woman's Movement. Hmm. Uh, Where she says, uh, Haywood Patterson describes the mob that gathered outside the Scottsboro jail the first evening after they were arrested. Round about dusk, hundreds of people gathered about the jailhouse. We heard them yelling like crazy about how they were coming in after us and what ought to be done with us. As evening came on, the crowd got to be about 500, most of them with guns. Mothers had kids in their arms. Autos, bicycles, and wagons were parked around the place. People in and about them. Uh, this is back to Miss Richards. Uh, a lynching was a carnival. Women were as much a part of the public opinion bent on protecting their southern womenhood as men were. It would not have done the Scots- Scottsboro boys any good to have been officially convicted by 12 women. Only a holy black jury, men or women, could have fairly judged the Scottsboro boys. The essence of Brown Miller's outrage at the left seems to be that Victoria Price was portrayed in their defense campaigns as what Brown Miller calls a women a woman of murky virtue. When a woman has, in fact, been raped and she is accused of asking for it by the virtue of her reputation, this is indeed inexcusable. This has been the pattern when black women are rape victims and such character assassination certainly has been used to discredit the testimony of white rape victims as well. In this area, the women's movement has made commendable advances in several states. Reforming evidence, excuse me, reforming evidence codes codes to make a woman's past sexual history irrelevant. The Scottsboro case, however, is an entirely different matter. Victoria Price, one of the white women who uh, 
you know, said that uh, she had been raped by one of these uh, or these nine black males. Uh, Victoria Price had not been raped at all. Her companion, Ruby Bates, in 1933, repudiated her testimony and admitted there had been no rape. The fact remains that the Scottsboro boys were convicted four times on Victoria Price's perjured testimony, testimony that was corroborated by semen found in her vagina. The fact also remains that she had had intercourse in a Chattanooga hobo jungle the night before and in Huntsville, Alabama the night before that. These facts were not gratuitous slander, but a crucial part of the evidence that the semen was not put there by an accused black rapist, let alone by nine of them. These facts, of course, Victoria Price elected to lie about and send nine men to death sentences to save her skin from a vagrancy charge. To prove the righteousness of her outrage at the treatment given the complaining witness, Brown Miller quotes from the judicial opinion which overturned Patterson's second conviction. Judge Horton had ruled in a long, painstaking opinion that the jury's guilty verdict was contrary to the weight of the evidence. His History, sacred and profound, he wrote, and the common experience of mankind teaches that women of the character shown in this case are prone for selfish reasons to make false accusations, both of rape and of insult upon the slightest provocation or even without provocation for ulterior purposes. The tendency on the part of the women shows they are predisposed to make false accusations upon any occasion whereby they, their selfish ends may be gained. Susan Brown Miller spent four years meticulously researching this book. How odd that she should overlook the judge's middle sentence, which reads as follows. These women are shown by great weight of the evidence on this very day before leaving Chattanooga to have falsely accused two Negroes of insulting them and of almost precipitating a fight between one of the white boys they were in company with and these two Negroes. Uh, why does Brown, she just goes on to talk about how this author uh, kind of absolves white women uh, of some of their role. And she goes on, she talks uh, about the Emmett Till case uh, in the same book. Alice, oh, it's Alison Edwards. I'm sorry, Alison Edwards, Rape, Racism, and the White Women's Movement. She goes on to talk about the Emmett Till case, how some white women came and wrote about that incident and classified Miss Bryant. That's the white woman that uh, said Emmett Till whistled at her or whatever she accused him of doing, uh, that said that she was also a victim in this case, that she was a victim of sexism, that Emmett Till came in to practice sexism against her as a male, and then Emmett Till was a victim of racism, ultimately, as this uh, moves on. She has that in the book as well. Great uh, publication came out in the 70s, Rape, Racism, and the White Women's Movement, where she just kind of goes through and dissects many of the different ways that white feminists uh, have practiced racism, white supremacy, uh, insidiously uh, in some of their works where they've talked about racism. In my opinion, much like our guest, Laura Essick, on the program today, I can only emphasize again uh, me saying explicitly when I told her that uh, I do not use the term benefit in the way that I present, conceptualize white people practicing racism. That's the word that people hear me use consistently. Practice, practice, practice. I do not talk about Benefits. That is secondary. Yes, white people benefit, but sometimes they practice racism and it's not even to gain anything. It's just for the pleasure of mistreating black people. That in and of itself becomes a value, just the pleasure of terrorizing niggers. And I unfortunately have seen too much evidence that that happens a lot. Anywho, uh, we will hit the phone lines if folks have anything they would like to share again i do realize we do have new listeners people who are hearing for the first time and i know it can be unsettling the first time that you hear a white person particularly a white woman being challenged or you know told that she's practicing racism uh just you know process listen 
evaluate what is being said, see if it makes sense, and definitely go back and listen to some of the archives. We've had other white women on the program and see if you notice tendencies, patterns, repetition to the performance of how some of these white folks, particularly the white women, behave on the program. Uh, did folks have commentary, questions? Everybody who dialed in with a hand up your... Oh, uh, hmm. Well, I was not prepared for the other folks who have dialed in. So I guess if you have a hand up and you did not get to ask a question at all. So if we have not heard your voice at all today, uh, you should go first. If you have questions or commentary, you would like to get in and then everybody else will get you as well. So is anybody on the line that we did not get to hear from? You didn't get to ask a question and you want to make your commentary about what you've heard. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I was, uh, I asked a question about whether or not, uh, she would sacrifice anything. So, but, uh, my phone was disconnected for some reason. But, uh, I can go after anybody else that hasn't spoke yet. If anybody, it looked to me, it looked like there were some people who didn't get to comment. Is anybody with us who didn't get to ask a question at all? We haven't heard from who has a hand up. Um, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, yes, greetings to that's the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, real, really quick, that that was a good point you made about the metaphors. And um, I think the thing with that, at least for me, is uh, I guess, you know, it just maybe comes from, uh, I guess, how I talk to other people growing up and listening to music rap battles and stuff like that, um, it becomes uh, normal in my everyday speech in some way. But I, I'm definitely working on that because that is a uh, a way that white people definitely can utilize and confuse us and with the language they use. But it was something I heard her say about, I guess, about the uh, feminism thing or the sexism thing. And she, it seemed like it was a contradiction because I don't know who asked the question, but uh, she answered it by saying, oh, well, well, black guys practice sexism. Maybe, I guess she said it that way. She practiced, They practice sexism more than the white guys. Then toward the end of that uh, response, or maybe it was another one, she said white men did it the most when it came to the sexism. So I think that was another um, confusing tactic of a contradiction. And uh, I was thinking about another example is the Serena Serena Williams um, recent uh incident, I guess somebody was saying she looks quote-unquote manly or whatever example, or is that uh, qualified as sexism? And from what I've noticed, um, black females aren't really uh, referred to as women to be called feminists or victims of sexism. That seems to be reserved for uh, white women. So that was pretty much all I had right now, and I'll give it to the next person.
May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, you know, I thought this whole thing was fascinating. It actually answered some of the questions I had going on in my head about all this stuff about the, um, you know, the feminism versus racism and what, what exactly they're talking about. And actually, she didn't answer my question. I What I asked her was, you know, given that she's aware of the role white women play in all this, what is she doing about it? And she went back to explaining all the examples again, including, you know, O.J. Simpson. And that, that was not what I asked her at all. But, um, you know, when I, when I think about it, especially on my job, every job I've ever quit is because a white woman was promoted over me with less education and less experience. I just, you know, went to it and moved on. And, um, and the other thing with that, actually I was thinking about bringing that up too with um, uh, Serena Williams and even going back to um, when was this last fall with this Rolling Stone, this white woman lied about being raped. It, but the Rolling Stone took her at her word, wrote up a whole big article. Then they found out, oops, she lied. Well, no, she didn't really lie. She um, must have been raped sometime, somewhere, by somebody. So, you know, don't white women don't lie about being raped. And this came up again this week, you know, last week when um, Bill Cosby came out again. So, I, I you know, I think it's all kind of intertwined. You can't have racism without, as you said, just without white women educating their children as to who they are and their role in society and what they're supposed to do. And even, you know, as being teachers, teaching our, teaching us how, what, what our role in life is. And, um, you know, I don't know why they get so much, I guess I do, it's just all racism, but I really wanted her to kind of admit that, that likely she's in the position she's in because she's a white woman. And any time she lets out a little peep, these men will come to her rescue like they did. Um, I don't even know who the woman was that Serena played against. They wrote that article in New York. Was it New York Times? You know, talking about how muscular and masculine she was. And then another one came on um, Rowan Martin's show saying that he suspected that Serena was taking steroids and I said, all these white men, they're just jumping to the defense of this woman. I said, you know, I answered one of them on Twitter. I said, well, could it be that she doesn't work very hard because she's lazy? She doesn't care. She's getting paid without having to win any title. So why should she? And so, you know, but but I think that um, a, a very strong element in this whole mess is white women's manipulation of everyone including these so-called black feminists, there's a bunch of them on Twitter, and um, black men and, and even white men. So I think, I think they're kind of the central figure, even though um, kind of in, hidden in the background, hidden in plain sight to, to the whole mess. And I will um, mute my line. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, when I asked you the question of whether or not, uh, what, what was the sacrifice in order to uh, rid the system, rid, rid the uh, planet of racism and white supremacy, she didn't really answer the question, and she made that little uh, 
tacky joke about, you know, about uh, sacrificing the program. And I wanted to interrupt her about, because she wasn't answering the uh, question I asked, if she said she would sacrifice her time and so on and so forth, even though I phrased the question as to uh, your sacrifice would help to bring the end of the, uh, of, of the system of racial and white supremacy. So um, I knew from the beginning that she wasn't really serious. Uh, she kept getting, I'm, I'm surprised she didn't play the uh, justice clip of her saying buckets and buckets of words. But, um, you know, she was being very, uh, she wasn't being very clear about her statements. And it, it, I, I think this is one of the programs that I'll point to whenever a black female talks about, you know, uh, sexism or feminism or whatever, just to show that it's not, uh, women, uh, it's not, uh, white men and, I mean, it's not a white men that are the problem. It's white men and white women, especially white women, because, you know, they are the ones that take care of the children and child rear them when the, uh, white man is out, you know, doing whatever he's doing. So it, it's very important for us to understand that because uh, I've seen a lot on Facebook of um, even some people who claim to have some knowledge of racist and white supremacy that they would uh, not indict all, wh all white people or they would set aside a few white people and that includes white uh, women. And... Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely recommend this program to anybody that starts off uh, saying something about feminism or sexism, and I'll meet my mind. Thank you. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, I thought... Um I, I was amazed. I, I, first of all, I want to congratulate you guys on your patience. Uh, it was almost like she took Tim Wise's game to another level. I mean, it was just, it, it, none of the questions was evasive, none of the questions. Were, that's why I used the word three-card Molly. I'm just trying to follow the card. And she hit behind her academic credentials. Like, I'm going to come, you know, we, we, we just came out the field on the, battle, on the back of a turnip truck, and she's going to dazzle us with her academic credentials. And then when that fails, um, I'm a single mom. And, which means I'm a victim, and and she actually threw some classism in there. If you really go back and listen to the tape, so she was doing all of these terms, semantics, splitting hairs. She was doing everything but answer the question direct. And you had already instructed her about the benefit statement and the benefit, um, and then that kept popping up. And I just thought this woman is pulling off all the stops. I mean, she was like the Terminator bitch coming in, you know, guns blazing. And I'm going to dazzle these niggas that just came back off the back of the turnip truck. They don't know anything. And I'm going to talk down. I'm going to be pompous and condescending. And, 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 and it, it was just, it, it, was, it was really, really, it was a display. That is a classic. This is the one, this is the tape we should use the, as, a, as a training. This is, this is what to expect. This is what you're going to get. And, 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 and it's, think about it. This woman is, I, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to talk to some of the people who have taken her class. I know that's probably not possible because they got to be totally, totally in a state of just utter confusion or clarity depending on when she looked from when you were asking about the demographics of the class. I think she said something about four or five uh, people of color versus 
this in a class of 25. I didn't think the question was that difficult. And she, she found a way to split hairs and make it uh, uh, like it was just, uh, you know, you were asking uh, infinity or something. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a display. And uh, but it, I'm gonna go back and listen to it again, and and and, and just really try to deconstruct it. But anyway, I'll mute my line. Thank you. Yeah, I would have to do that too. I'm I'm planning on listening to this over again. Uh, so my last question, what I wanted to do was, I wanted her to tell me what she thought that Sojourner Truth got out of being a feminist. How did feminism help her? And uh, <laughs> by that time, my man Gus went on the dog. <laughs> Tyree, <laughs> uh, she was she was she was off the hook, man. I mean, she lost me when she said that. What was that? A turnip in the apple? Or I, I, I was not hungry. <laughs> I tried to I tried to I tried to keep up with my with my metaphors, but man, I was like, what what? Is she is she supposed to be a sociology professor? And I'm saying to myself, she doesn't have. It doesn't seem like she has any kind of depth in in social history. You know, she's just stuck in feminism. And I'm like, well, okay. When we get out of the 1800s, what else she got? You know, is, are you just stuck in American feminism? I mean, what what is it? What's the deal? Where are you going with this? And, you know, uh, but yeah. Yeah, then she ran. So I ain't gonna even compare it to Tim Wise. Tim Wise would at least stayed on, <laughs> you know, and 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 been more difficult. But she ran off the she ran off the show. So gotta be hurt. Um, yes, sir. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, she didn't answer uh, my question uh, on the. Uh, uh, sex between uh, white people and non-white people. Uh, basically, her her reaction to it was uh, it's complicated. Well, guess what? Uh, uh, the system of racism and white supremacy uh, is complicated. Uh, but uh, she, in that uh, way, in that manner, uh, that's that's the manner she chose not to uh, to uh, answer. Uh, the question on that, uh, and at the same time, she did acquiesce to uh, the thought of a white person uh, should be uh, challenged with honesty, and at the same time, uh, uh, should be uh, uh, rendered uncomfortable. Uh, uh, come out of that. In other words, have to come out of that comfort zone, whatever that is, uh, on the system, on talks about the system of racism, white supremacy. And uh, she just skated by that. But it's not unusual. I've been, I've been uh, listening to the programs for years, and uh, it's been quite consistent. And that's what we, that's what one thing that uh, people who attempt to practice counter-racism, uh, one of the things that should be uh, watchful of is, is consistency uh, out of white people, and that's one thing, especially with white females. Uh, they are they seem to be more sophisticated than their white male counterparts in maneuvering. Maneuvering, I mean, they got more moves than, than uh, Barry Sanders. 
uh, 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 oh, I just used a metaphor. I'm sorry, <laughs> but but they they uh, to speak concise to that, they're they're uh, because they're the first teacher. They're the first teacher of a uh, white male. Uh, that they are, we're seeing where their expertise on white people that practice racism come from. It comes from the white female uh, and how uh, evasive that uh, uh, that uh, 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 example of species uh, uh, behave. And that matters. It's quite consistent. And even when I have uh, conversations with white people who don't come on this program, she probably have even listened to the program before she came on at some point in time. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, her, the narrative, last thing that her, the narrative kind of like gives her away uh, in the narrative, and she, and she induced all of that into uh, her conversation, especially the uh, quote-unquote sexism. Uh, to provide confusion. Therefore, uh, she precisely was practicing racism white supremacy right before our eyes and ears. Well, actually, before our ears, because we can't see her. But uh, practice right before our ears. Thank you. I, I expected her to, to talk about Ruth's social behavior patterns. Uh, and and people like this, and to go into history of it, but we didn't get that at all. So I'm disappointed. Good old pass. I would encourage uh, any of the folks if you. Uh I guess if they if if particularly if they're newer callers or if there's anyone who thinks she was accurate trying to give great information, perhaps an example of a well-meaning white person, if you read the report she authored on Rachel Dozel, man, um, I, confusion, <laughs> confusion. Uh, I think I looked that term up when I was coming back from the white privilege conference. I looked up the definition for the term uh, confusion, and it's uh, a disorderly jumble is, was, is one of the definitions for that term. I think that is appropriate for her uh, report on uh, Rachel Dozel. Uh, I was going to bring it up, but I felt like we already had enough nonsense and uh, irrational commentary. But that is definitely one to peruse if you have the uh, inclination and the free time. She she says something uh, real slick uh, at one point in time when the issue was about sex. I don't know if it was me or someone else when she mentioned that about the power relationship difference, which is true when it comes to white people who impose themselves sexually on non-white people. But she also transferred that into, in general, male versus female. I mean, real smooth to, to where it's, 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 it's scary in a sense on how, on how uh, smooth, smooth she, she's done it. It just shows you that she was consciously 
practicing the system is of, of race of white supremacy. I, I, I agree with your meaning, uh, Gus, on what a, a white person that practices racism, uh, what it is. And she, you know, as far as consciously and unconsciously, at that point in time, she was conscious about that. Which she and a lot of the things and a lot of other things that she was saying in the course of uh, her speech during the course of the uh, the the interview, consciously practicing racism and supremacy. I know she was definitely conscious when she whatever she said about Sojourner Truth. I, I, I like I said, I got to go back and listen to her answer, but. Uh, she was conscious when she was practicing that because she was got. She 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 knew that Sojourner didn't get nothing out of it. Yeah. So she was forced into a court. She all she could talk about, all she had, all she had left was to talk about the truth and talk about the racism that was behind the feminist movement. That's all she had left, but she refused to yeah. do it. So yeah, you know. But I, like like I said, I got to go back and listen to what she said so I can be prepared for. Oh, some other woman just try that again on me, you know. Uh, yeah, she 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 went as far as she 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 could in the interview, and her point of hanging up was was when she had uh, extinct uh, had uh, uh, said everything that she possibly could say because she was getting she was getting uh, 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 oh she was getting caught. And, you know, uh, in her life. Right. Right. She's she's not as, uh, like I said, she, she doesn't appear to be as uh, intelligent in her social field. Or uh, should I say historically, anyway. It's, it's, like she said, she said, it's not her function. Her function is to push to feminism. Well, you don't seem to be too intelligent in that, that department either. But, hey... To each his own. I'm not sure who she was talking to. I'm sorry. But um, she said something about white females fetishizing black males. I thought that was like, it kind of came out of the left field, but it was a bit aggressive. I don't know if it was you, Gus, to where, where that came from. Uh, what did she say again? Yeah, well, about you know white females that they fetishize, even black males. You know, she was going. I guess she was going through the hierarchy of uh, you know being oppressed from being you know white males. You know, they oppressed the uh, white. People. I don't know. A lot of stuff she said didn't make sense, but that one is like she kind of just threw it out there, and and I wasn't sure what that was about. I'm sorry. A lot of times, a lot of times in discourse, especially with white people, they would they would come out with with uh, uh, what is called half truths, where they would t- it will partially tell you something about a subject matter, and withhold it. For you to have to understand, have an understanding of, or know the truth of a subject matter, and if you don't respond to it, then you know their their comment just lingers 
lingers out there. Because uh, you hear that, you hear that a lot when when uh, we speak about uh, white people mistreating mistreating us on a global basis. Then a white person would come out and say something about, well, uh, you black people harm each other, you know, and 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 so unfortunately, sometimes that, that's able to linger to have the quote unquote last word. But 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 it's, it's designed to it's designed to keep the non-white person off off balance, off balance in the conversation. You know, and uh, that's that's a strategy I, I hear out of a lot of white people. And as I mentioned before, I suspect that white females are are actually the, the you know real expert at it. You know, doing things like that. They're saying things like that in in discourse with with non-white people. I think when Gus stepped in, she was happy, and she she just went on head on and tapped out. As she hung up the phone to exit, she emailed and said that uh, she had to exit. She thought the program was over at nine and had to go, <laughs> so she wanted to, to email uh, her exit. Although it seems she could have not that you know I, my feelings are hurt. I was ready for her to dip, but she uh, she could have said that and and politely exited. I think we've had that happen before on the program. Um, just in terms of the nonsense in case people don't want to check it out because she just titled the report transracial i was going to ask her that I, I should have asked before i got to the phones how much she's compensated for writing these reports for psychology today but she wrote as someone who teaches queer histories and race histories i'm struck by the parallels between caitlin jenner and rachel dozel first of all many transgender people have had to pass as cisgender meaning they did and do hide their histories, experiences, and upbringings. As Sandy Stone pointed out in her 1993 seminal essay, The Empire Strikes Back, a post-transsexual manifesto, access to hormones and surgeries was historically controlled by male doctors who insisted that trans women both pass as women before surgery and pass as straight. Stone herself was called a transsexual menace. And she goes on, but just in my opinion, in my view, this is another illustration of where we start off talking about what I believe is a white woman who practiced racism, deception, lying about her racial classification for her own advantage and tricking and duping a lot of black people in the process. We've moved away from that to legitimizing the deception of what I believe is a white, uh, different white woman, Rachel Dozel, to then lumping in all of the sexual confusion and Caitlin. I mean, it's just total confusion and this does remind me a lot of the white privilege conference because they would lump all of this stuff in together as well they love what they call intersectionality and it's not just racism we got you know poor white people and white women are mistreated and disabled people and old people i mean just bad more and more and more and more more it's not just racism got a whole lot of things going on uh, i did want to also get in really quick and uh if other folks if we haven't heard from you feel free just on the metaphors i'm not saying that you cannot use metaphors I use metaphors. I do it in my writing. I do it when I'm speaking verbally on the program. Uh, I think I've said before when people say that black people automatically know about racism, I've used the metaphor. Nobody takes that position with a vehicle. Just because you are a passenger or you drive a car every day, no one assumes that you know everything about 
what a vehicle is and how it operates. Why do we take that position with racism? I use metaphors. I am just saying that there should be extreme caution around metaphors when you use them and when you hear other people, particularly white people, because they are so dangerous with their deception. And that's what they do. A lot of times they will slip those metaphors in where we start off talking about racism. And now we're over here talking about turnips or Caitlyn Jenner or toolbox. I mean, anything. Uh, And they will say that these two are the same, that that's how we can bring in this other seemingly non-related subject. But they'll just say that these two are the same. We can learn a lot. We just parallel them really investigate to make sure that what they're saying makes sense. Is it helping you get clarity? Does it sound like what they're saying is rational and accurate? Really investigate. And if it doesn't ask, Hey, just request, Hey, is it, is it possible that we can ditch the metaphors and just be direct and clear about what's being said? Because I'm getting a little confused. Your metaphor is not helping me to understand what you're saying. Just make that request. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't use them at all. I try to be clear when we do have programs where I want to go ahead and not include metaphors, but just be very careful and particularly when white people are using them because that, it has been my experience, is a major weapon for racists to spread confusion, deception. Uh, did we miss anybody? Anybody who hasn't been able to, to comment? Who had a hand up? Bobby Hurt? Yes, sir. Yes, Thomas Smith in New York again. Um, he was a definitive refined racist. Um... You know, I, I know the other way to cut it. They either go to the white privilege, trying to bring everything back to that, or feminism thing. Um, you know, the Caitlyn Jenner thing that you was just talking about, I, I found out recently that it was someone who did it before him, a tennis player, um, who, who was a male and, you know, became a female and went on to play in tennis tournaments. Um, so that, that's not the first time that happened, and that was a white lady as well. Um, just very fine. Um, I learned a lot from this episode. I had all these questions um, written out. She kind of, you know, uh, with all that um, feminism talk, it was like, you know, it, it, it's no comparison. <laughs> no comparison um, at all. And I'll mute my line for now. Thank you very much for taking my call tonight, Gus. And I know we were tight for time. Um, I, I personally think that um, she's used to having black people agree with her. Um, you know, um, she could throw in that little, oh, yeah, we did it. You know, this happened to us white women, too. And, you know, the, the average black person who, who doesn't know a lot, you know, they're, they're going to go along with it. And um, when you gave her pushback on that, um, everyone gave her pushback on it. She felt very uncomfortable also. And um, she couldn't wait to press that um, hang up button. Uh, hello? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, hey. Uh, yes, like I said, she was just rambling and, like, and, and totally dishonest. I mean, when you, when you asked her about the students, the uh, demographics of the students, and she couldn't. She would not give you an answer in the beginning. So it's like uh, you you are a teacher, but yet you don't know the breakdown of the people in your classroom. Just I said, just more of her dishonesty and bringing in O.J. Simpson 
uh, you know, the O.J. Simpson murder trial. I mean, that is something that white people have been doing for 20 years. You know, it, it will just come out of nowhere. I mean, when I used to travel, and I would I would go to some some train facility and. Out of nowhere, someone would bring up O.J. Simpson's trial. And I, I would say to myself, I had to travel 3,000 miles to hear this. I could have stayed home to hear this. And, 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 it, just, and, and it also, you know, just so to show you uh, where, where's, where's the forgiveness in that? You know, uh, I can't. Why can't he be forgiven? You know, uh, just like uh, you know, we should forgive Dylan Roof, but but no, don't forgive OJ. Oh, and someone also mentioned about how she was trying to present herself as a victim. Look for, everybody, do we all remember the Hollaback video? Yeah, I remember, I was thinking about that, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just read that the actress who was in that video is, is, is now suing people who made that video. Claiming that she only got two hundred dollars out of something that got forty million views, so she's entitled to half a million dollars. Now, in my opinion, she's gonna make herself out to be such a victim of white male patriarchy, even though the whole purpose of that video, if you remember was to was to show how all these black men on 125th Street in Harlem were just preying on her, only to find out that white guys who did the same thing to her were purposely edited from the video. But now that she didn't, I guess, get her proper, she didn't get her proper payment, now, all of a sudden, she's going to probably present herself as a victim again. And if you hear any black person feel sorry for them for her, please remind them not to. Because this woman willingly made a racist video to demonize black people. So she deserves no sympathy for what happens to her. That's just something we, I believe, that's what we should be aware of. And, and someone else should speak. Mm -hmm. uh, just real 
quick since it did come up. I thought that was another act of racism as well, her not divulging the uh, size of the college and her classroom. Like, yeah, I mean, just petty stuff like that. Why is that something that you... I just don't believe that. I mean, I guess folks could say that that's lucid. I don't believe if you teach at this college, this institution, you don't have some understanding of what the size of your school is and the typical size demographics of your class. I just don't believe that. Anyway, uh, according to the college's own website, uh, their total number of accepted students is under 2,000. And it says, I thought this was a typo or, or maybe they forgot the percent sign, but it seems that that is not the case, that this is a smaller school. It's under uh, 3,000 students, that they have a total of 36 African-American students, 36. Uh, it looks like they have uh, a total of 25% non-white students. Uh, again, it seems max 36 or total, thus uh, right now, of, of 36 black students. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't seem likely she would have too many, not or black students specifically. It doesn't seem likely she would have very many black students in her classes, thankfully. And the harassment she received was they were complimenting her hair and clothes. That's what she was trying to say. I think she tried to slip in as well, like towards the end of that, that making some sort of, of sexually vulgar comments as well. I think she included. Oh. Uh, you know, the, those are two different things. So, uh, and I noticed they've been blending those things together pretty soon, you know, like that um, holler, whatever that video, that's going to be, you know, some sort of verbal rape, you know, because these poor white women, you know, they have such a rough life around here. And, uh, cause I, I watched the video and I didn't really see anyone really do anything and that was outrageous for And, uh, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. If you don't, I don't know, I don't know. Or, or maybe, you know, from, from back in the day, you know, <laughs> people used to holler at you all the time if you didn't pay any, you, you know, just go right by you. We, our school is right next like maybe a couple blocks from a, um, the, uh, the uh, factory where they made auto parts. And they were always, you know, yelling something out of the window. We just never paid any attention to it. It wasn't deemed harmful or dangerous or that. I, I don't know. Our, our culture is disintegrating so quickly. I don't, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen next, what's going to come up next. Are they going to be, you know, because they, uh, um, didn't they just arrest someone for um, they their posture? <laughs> they said it was a threatening posture. <laughs> for people who were reading uh, with us for the book study on Ben Tillman and the reconstruction of white supremacy, I think a white person uh, accused uh, a black male that he wanted to kill, accused him of fanning himself aggressively. So it definitely would not surprise me if, if that is now a, a new charge, uh, standing aggressively or aggressive posture, unlawful posture. Hey, uh, do you, do y'all remember the, the black male that was shot by the police officer? And as he shot him, he said, 
I did what you asked me to. Why did you shoot me? That was called aggressive reaching for your license. That was also in South Carolina. Hmm. Yeah, so, so this doesn't surprise me. And, you know, getting back to the out-of-back video. Now, like I said, two of those guys really didn't say anything offensive. You know, they said, yo, mommy, hello. Maybe one person said something bad, but the issue, once again, is the purposeful editing of white men who did the same thing. And years ago, I would have, I would have said, once she revealed this lawsuit, that, oh, see, this is how, see, this too shows how white women are victims of white men also. But, no, like I said, how she doesn't win her, how she doesn't win her lawsuit. Whatever, whatever negativity, pain, upset she's feeling right now, totally deserves. Because she willingly did something racist. Uh, yes, uh, there was uh, one point in time when she was, uh, someone asked her about uh, who is, who is uh, more confused about the system of racism or white supremacy, uh, white people or, or non-white people. And her her uh, uh, logic didn't make any sense in saying that white people don't have to think about it. So in essence, what she's telling me, that white people didn't have to think about uh, the Nassim Conference. They didn't have to think about the Berlin Conference and what was the aftermath of that also. They'd have to they'd have to think about uh, you know these many uh, different uh, 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 meetings that they had on on uh, oppressing and terrorizing non-white people uh, on a global basis on a global basis uh, they didn't have to have any thought about racism white supremacy at all they just somehow found themselves sitting around a table. Uh, giving up the, the 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 earth, and in turn, uh, capturing and and terrorizing non-white people without even thinking about it. Uh, therefore, they they are ignorant on it. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. A lot of that stuff that she was saying, and I don't think she was going in that direction out of out of ignorance. It, it was it was just a, 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 a like a slap in the face. And, and and I use that as a metaphor saying that, you know, just being disrespectful. That that's basically all what she was doing. Uh into the uh the the, the, the people that she was talking to. I heard someone mention about on how she was uh talking talking down to uh to uh, uh to, to us and that's basically was it was an example by her 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 justification of her saying uh why uh she thinks that white people are ignorant about racism and white supremacy. Yeah. I think every caller, every white person that uh, the female caller who asked that question has given the exact same response that white people are the most confused group about racism 
which, if anything, just shows that they that is a standard response to lead us in the direction of nonsense and irrational thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, greetings, guests and callers. This is Mr. Nero. Unfortunately, I'm on the plantation right now, so hopefully the phone won't ring. Um, I couldn't hear most of the broadcast when I was working, but I didn't expect her to last uh, that long. When I called in initially, I think it was maybe half an hour into the broadcast. I didn't think she would still be on by then. Uh, I expected a great deal of foolishness just based on a description of um, uh, the book, I guess, that she wrote about um, uh, white people pursuing perfection. Was that like in the description of the show? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I, 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 based on that, I, I did not expect her to last long. But, but it, it really is interesting when they say white people don't have to think about it. You know, that it, she did make a statement about, you know, that they don't have to think about it, right? And that's why they're um, more ignorant about it. it that's, that's interesting to me because the things I don't think about is the things I do the most. You know, like you brush your teeth every day, you... You know, you get up and groom yourself, and because you do that stuff so often, you don't think about it. You just get up and start doing it, you know. So the only thing that came to mind when she said that is, well, y'all must do it so much. That's the reason why you don't have to think about it, you know. You're constantly doing it. So, yeah, I found it interesting. And I was surprised she lasted as long as she did Me too. And as far as the, uh, the nonsense about patriarchy, I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything that uh, white men do, they're doing it for white women. Uh, whether it be the uh, wealth that they that they steal all over the world, the uh, trinkets that they build, a lot of the materials that they steal, um, you know, most of it is for women. So I don't know what they mean when they when they get to talking that nonsense. Yeah. I've had um uh you know some women in my in, in my cab will, you know, mention certain things about, you know, sexism or whatever or the the cat call and that that will come up uh, periodically. And I just tell them, you know, hey, just keep living, honey. They'll stop. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll stop making those comments. Just keep living. Did uh, anybody else have comments? They wanted to make sure they got in. Anything else? Hey, Gus, you, you had a guest on a few years ago, a white man, and he was still in the lead. He was the first person 
white person I ever heard say, oh, black people was welcome. Feel me? He had no quarrels about it, and he went on to explain very logically why he felt that way. I don't, I can't remember the name of that guest, but that dude was the best white guest you ever had. He spilled beans on the system. I mean, like no one. Are you, oh, you still with us, Thomas, in New York? Yes, did you hear what I just said? Yes, sir, about the, it was a white guest, I guess, was on the program previously, and he spilled the beans uh, about racism. I, I guess the question was asked, was, did, was he asked if white, I mean, if black people are more confused about racism? And he said, yes, black people yeah, were more confused. Said, oh, absolutely. I mean, and he wanted to show, explain why. I mean, he, they don't know that we're doing this to them. I mean, it's like, I mean, he was so good at it. I mean, he was just filling the beans. I mean, he was the best guest you ever had. I mean, he made me a believer. He was, I mean, this was a few years ago. And, you know, I listened to you, but this one guest, man, I mean, it was like, man, you know, it's not only do I agree with it, it's true. I mean, he was so honest, uh, the most honest white guest you ever had. And he was a young guy. He might have been a professor at a college or something. But, um, I mean, he agreed with your definition, and he would want to elaborate. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, he dominated everybody. Let me just tell you how. I mean, he was very good. have to uh, ponder, see if I can come up uh, who it was. There have been a couple of them who've, who've agreed. That's not that uncommon to agree with the definition, but in terms of saying that they think black people are, are confused about racism, and let me explain why. Now, that is very rare. <laughs> it's probably been a handful of, of white people who have come on and, and said something even remotely resembling that sort of commentary. Yeah, he was, uh, he, he went on to be, I mean, I, I could, I'm almost 100% sure that he answered that question with very fast, absolutely. I mean, he went on to explain why, and it was a white man. I mean, he was definitely a white guy. So, Gus, what was Kevorkian's position regarding blacks being confused? Do you, do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. After, he's talking about Dr. Martin Kevorkian for people who... You know, if you haven't been listening to that long, uh, he wrote uh, Color Monitors, uh, which is very constructive book. Now, he is white. He is an admitted white supremacist. So, you know, keep all that in mind. But uh, the book, I think, is uh, constructive. Basically, just breaks down films and how racism plays out in different movies. And the general theme is that uh, anytime you see like robots or non-human characters in films, that that represents non-white people and white people's racist framing of black people, non-white people. That's basically the book. Anyway, he's been on the program a bunch of times, probably six, seven times at least. I don't recall off top um, his position on whether or not black people uh, were more confused or if he was even that, because, I mean, this is like way back. This is like 2000. I think he's probably one of the first 10 guests we had when we came back in 2009. But he was on several times between 2009 and 2011. I'm not sure if... uh, if he was asked or if he was what his position was. I'd have to go back and dig a little bit. Yeah, I'd be interested yeah, to, to uh, hear his, his uh, position on that.
Because I don't know who uh, Thomas is talking about. I don't know who that is. I'm straining to think. Yeah, I'm having I'm having a tough time on the the specifically on the. Oh, of course, black people are confused. And let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you. I, I'm gonna have to go through the archives and find this show, man. That might take a year or two because you got a lot of shows. But I will find this show because I mean, on my old iPod, I saved it, man. man I, I I don't have that now, but man, I I just that was just so. I mean, I played that show for my mother. <laughs> She was like, wow, you know, like, he was, he just, like, opened my eyes. Because, you know, it's like, you know, we sometimes it's like, we're being wrong. You know? But, um, you know, when you hear it from them, it's like, wow, you know what, you wanted something. You know, it's like, this, this is true. You know, they, they, the fact that he admitted to a lot of, I mean, he was very, uh, elaborating on it. You know, he was like, yeah, I am, I guess. I practice like everybody else. You know? well, another uh, series of good shows you did was on the zombies. Because, you know, you put that in. The guy was just talking about the machines and things. It's just how you just put in the shows about how zombies represent black people. So it was like, damn. Dude, I guess. So as I started thinking about it, those were great shows as well. Wow. Randy Harry? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Hi. Um, I, I came in I came in a little bit on the show and I guess maybe fifteen minutes in she she left. <laughs> so, you know, but uh just a couple of days, where can I read that article that you said she wrote on um Rachel Dogazal? Is that on her or her site or uh I mean, are you on are we friends on Facebook? Yes. Okay, I'm going to just put it on my Facebook page so you can just... Oh, okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's one other thing I wanted to say, too. I didn't hear, but I remember I heard the young man who was asking her about Sojourner the Truth and, and was talking about feminism. And one of the things I think when it comes to that that I was going to, because I know this is really what all the show is about, but when you think about, like, feminism, like, when you think about Sojourner the Truth, if there's anybody who started what people call today feminism will be a sojourner truth. And then white women, white women picked it up. Because that, that's an a, a, a argument that I had with so-called black feminists. And I said, because the day when you, when you hear the word feminist, you go, people automatically think of white women. Because at the time, sojourner truth was speaking about the dignity of her being a woman. Uh, you know, white women were, what? were on that pedestal that they still on now, were on that pedestal they weren't thinking about, you know, the things that Sojourner Truth was out there basically fighting for her very life and, and the dignity of herself as a woman, the children that she's given birth to that's being sold away, things that white women don't have a clue. And at that time, like today, white women talk about feminism, you know, and all being equal to men, and I hate to say this, but in slavery, Black man, black woman, and black child literally were equal, you know, because uh, like so there two said, I, I go out in that field, I had to, I had to pull my my weight just like the man did. I wasn't cut any flat because I was a woman, you know. And then you know whatever happened, they did with the children. But I mean, I I saw a photo recently uh, where it was a child or a picture or something of a child picking cotton. So, you know, when we talk about it, even though in this crudest form, 
you know, equal pay and all that stuff like that. Black man, black woman, black child were equal in this country and getting equal pay, which was nothing, you know, for, for slavery. So I think when, when, you know, when we think about feminism in the truest form, it, it came from a black woman. And black women took it and changed it. Like I said, that's the problem I have with black feminists today because I'm like, you need to have your own thing and name and claim and set forth your objectives. I understand something like, when you go search on the super line, yeah, but white women took that. They took that ball and they ran with it. They took it from what Sojourner Truth was saying and made it for them, you know. And, and so I, I don't know what a white woman could say about them because I don't think that they would even want to admit that. You know, they're saying that this is something that we started, you know. And, and, but it's just like in reality, if you were to talk about it, it started with a Sojourner Truth. So I, I just don't expect, you know, I don't expect white women to be truthful about anything and be honestly truthful. But I, I just don't, I, I wouldn't expect a white woman to even, even say, to even think in those type of terms. Because remember, they have to be the center. They have to be the center of everything. Because just like you, you said something about, to talk about racism, and then all of a sudden, here come you just talk about sexism. You know, basically, like, putting it on white men, and almost in the sense saying that, well, you know, white women, we, we, we're into that, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm going to read my mind with this, but I, I can't wait to read your article that you're going to write for the Black, Atlanta Black Star on white women. And I'll read my line. You know, the typical pattern of white people to quote a dead non-white black person or a non-white person, period, uh, that cannot uh, uh, respond to their misquotes and manipulate that quote into uh, a false reality which will serve as deceit and in turn will serve as confusion to non-white people. Is it another typical strategy that white people do over and over and over and over again. And uh, it's good on this program that a lot of people ob ob observe that pattern along with many others. Oh, I forgot to, to get in. We should be back tomorrow. Uh, we have a black male professor, Clemson University, Clemson's in South Carolina. Uh, he did the report for people that listened to the compensatory call in. Uh, I think it was like two Saturdays ago. He did the report. He was at some service. It may have been in Charleston uh, or at minimum in South Carolina. He was at a service that they were having about the shooting. And uh, I believe this was at a church. He was seated next to a white woman that he did not know. And I guess they asked everyone in attendance to hold hands uh, with the, per the person that they were seated next to. And he did not want to touch this white woman. And so he ended up writing a piece about that. And uh, unfortunately, he did succumb and hold hands with her. Uh, but he wrote about his, uh, I guess, unwillingness, uh, his lack of desire to want to do so because she was white. He should be with us tomorrow uh, to kind of give his uh, views on what happened with that experience and if it is impacting the way he sees and thinks about white people. Uh, but he should be here tomorrow, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, just to make sure I get in so that I don't forget uh, two quick things. Uh, number one. Democracy Now! did a great piece on uh, the American Psychology Association 
and their involvement with the torture programs run by the CIA Department of Defense uh, under the system of white supremacy. And it was fascinating, just their use of words. They said that so many times, the use of words to be deceptive, <laughs> to conceal uh, information, the same exact patterns we talk about all the time, how they try to make this seem like this was an isolated event or this was anomaly or this was just one bad apple that caused all of this and nothing could be further from the truth and blah, blah, blah. It's fascinating. But one of the things that I thought was equally interesting is that they spent about uh, because I have a psych degree too but they spent about they spent about a half hour covering this topic and it was warranted they could have spent more time uh, on it 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 would have been like engrossing to why I was I was riveted I contrasted that they spent 45 minutes talking to Bree Newsom and the racist suspect that helped her climb that flagpole last week Now, in my opinion, it is no contest between these two, which is more important, which of these warrants 45 minutes of discussion, anybody climbing any flagpole anywhere in the world to take down a piece of cloth does not warrant 45 minutes worth of discussion, particularly a piece of cloth that was promptly put back up less than an hour from the time it was taken down. That was one. I could be in error, but that's just one I would ask people to think on is, is that a worthy investment of 45 minutes? 45 minutes for the Bree Newsome, 30 minutes for the Psychology Association aiding a torture program with the CIA and Department of Defense. The next thing, I was randomly in between breaks. Uh, I saw a movie, uh, George Clooney. I think it's like the air up there or so. I have to get the correct title in case anyone wants to watch it. I only watched it because it was on a list of films about racism and I'd never heard of it. And it came out recently. I think it came out in like 2009. So I watch this film, I get about halfway through it, and I haven't seen anything related to, directly related to racism. So I'm like, what is, this just seems goofy, they lied, whatever. As soon as I get the words out of my mouth, bam, he starts with all these racist comments about non-white people. There's a whole bunch of non-white people in front of him, so he starts making all these comments. I say, okay, I see why they put it on the list. The film continues. Uh, George Clooney's job in this film, he fires people. He gets hired to go and fire people uh, because people, you know, don't want to do it or what have you. He can handle all the stuff. If people start crying or getting really upset or what have you, he can do it, be detached about it and move forward. He and this white woman, white teen, they fire a black female. She starts crying and says she's going to go to the nearest bridge, jump off and kill herself. The white man says, that's the business. Next. <laughs> Moving right forward. The white woman is in tears. She's distraught. Like, oh my God, she's going to kill herself. What are we going to do? Man's like, Psh, what are you worried about her for? Let's get it together. <laughs> like, let's keep it, get it together. Forget her, whatever. She's, she's moving on. People say all kinds of crazy stuff. Don't, don't even think about that. Let's go fire the next person. So they go. And of course, the black woman commits suicide. Do they care? Are they upset about this? Psh, whatever. Moving forward, the white man, George Clooney's character, moves forward, whatever. Moving on with my life. That's, you know, that's the breaks. Life is, the, and he lies immediately. His supervisors ask him, this woman that you all fired, black woman, she commits suicide. Did she say anything? Did she make any comments? Did you think this was possible? On the spot. Absolutely not. I don't know what you're talking about. That's terrible. Where are we going for lunch? I don't think that was a part of why that film was on the list of racism. They didn't explain, by the way, so I don't know. Maybe that is what they saw that they thought was racism, but I don't think that's what it was. I think they were just talking about the blatantly like racist comments that George Clooney's character made 
about non-white people in the film, which is racism. But in my opinion, particularly commentary that people have been having about black mental health that doesn't get valued. We were talking about that last week when we had Dr. Marva Robinson on, president of St. Louis Association of Black Psychologists, how black mental health is not valued. Nobody cares. White people don't empathize about white people. That film, I thought, was a great illustration about white people and their total pathological lack of regard for black people. They joke about killing black people all the time, black people committing suicide, whatever. This is all just fodder for our jokes and entertainment. And I suspect that that type of scene, if you're more confused, you don't really understand racism. I suspect that a lot of victims would see something like that and it wouldn't even consciously register as this is just another method of white people insisting upon the lack of value of black life and just totally degrading our mental health. But that did happen. It is in the film. You can check it out. I guess I'll look and and get the exact name of the title if anyone wants to check it out. Anywho, we should be back tomorrow. Does anybody have uh, anything uh, anything they want to get in before we wrap up last five minutes? Okay, yes, sir. Um, yes. Good. I had, um, he took up on Facebook, man. And I, and I don't mean to take up nobody's time. But I just wanted to, you know, let you know what was going on in my area. Um... Police killed um, a long guy. They took him in the woods, you know. Something happened, you know. The the black people that seen it say it's different than what the police is saying it is. The police say they just pepper sprayed him and he died. But the eyewitnesses say that, they, that it's different than what the police is saying. But no one is really want to hear what the eyewitnesses are saying. From from what I'm hearing, what I'm gathering, they just taking on with the police saying, and <clears throat> the police will not release the video. And there's been like Ku Klux Klan rallies going on around here, you know, behind that, and um, the family won't an outlet to let their side of the store. The friends of the family want an outlet. Let they side of the story to go out to get out there, and I don't know. I suggested you to them because I know you know your brother that's interested in white space or whatever like that. But you know, I don't know. I I, I couldn't do that. You know, they was mad. At, one of them was mad at me today about a video. I don't know what they was mad about. You know what I'm saying? But I ended up getting to the root of the problem, and they ended up telling me that's what it was. That they not releasing the video, and they was tripping about Ku Klux Klan was rallying, waving off flags, you know, wearing like Klan, you know, memorabilia, whatever. And um, I don't know if that's something you would like to probably do. You can let me know if that's what you'd like to do. But then I know they're looking for an outlet, and I told them, you know. And so I told them about your show. They never, they never, you know, they don't, they don't really talk about racism. They go to church and stuff like that. So they really don't know about the cows. But I told them, I said, Gus, you know, because I know you got a good audience. You see what I'm saying? So it just depends. I'm just throwing that out there, man. But that's all I had to say. Anthony Ware. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, that was on Democracy Now! yesterday, too. Um, they covered uh, what happened to him down in Alabama. But, uh, yes, I saw the link and uh, a few other outlets. It hasn't blown up like some of the other major instances of, of police terrorism yet. I don't think. I might be incorrect. Maybe I need to look again, but it hadn't, you know, gotten to where... What did they say about, about the, of Democracy Now? What did they say? I didn't catch it. It was uh, it was brief. It was uh, on the Monday program. It was at the beginning. Um, so they devoted maybe 60 seconds. They'll have like 10 or 15 things that they spend maybe a minute or so. And they just kind of gave some of the basics of the case as they understood it yesterday. Just saying that this uh, black male somehow ended up dying while in custody. Matter of fact, I can just give you the uh, the transcript so mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly what they said. But it was it was just like the quick 60 second blurb and the type of thing that they, you know, will report back on later. I didn't get to see the program today yet, so I don't know if they brought it up again today or not. But I'm I would be totally down if they, you know, are interested. We can do it as quick as Thursday since we already got a show program tomorrow. But uh if they uh-huh. are so if they are interested, if they want to talk, I'm totally down. Um, you know, just you can Facebook uh message me or whatever the case may be and let me know the details if they okay, I'll give you I give you the um the phone number, and she said it's some eyewitnesses that would be willing to talk, saying that they seen more than what they seen about the pepper spray. They said they didn't just pepper spray him. Okay. And these are, yeah, eyewitnesses. And I told them that they wouldn't have to use their name or nothing like that, you know. But I, I just inbox you the number, and you, you know, you can go from there because you know more about things like, you know, this nature and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, just shoot it to me, and I'll. I, 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 well, I could call them today, but I'm kind of suspicious about calling people I don't know, <laughs> like after ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I could. I'll probably just wait and call them tomorrow. But yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll contact them, and we'll see if we can make it happen this week. Uh, Democracy Now. Okay. They said. Uh, this is from Monday in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, an African-American man has died after being pepper sprayed by police. Police say they responded to a report. 35-year-old Anthony Ware was sitting on a porch with a gun. They say they chased Ware into the woods where they claim he released... Or excuse me. Uh, they, they say they chased Ware into the woods where they claim he resisted arrest and was pepper sprayed and placed in handcuffs. Ware collapsed and was later pronounced dead. His death is under investigation. And that's all they said. That's what I said. It was really quick. Uh, they didn't have you know a whole lot of video or anything. They just kind of gave the basics and on to the next thing. Um, you know they said it, you know they didn't say they had a video of it. Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah, they have video of it. They they um said in local news they said they just haven't released it yet because they said it would mess with their investigation. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I and that's would... what they're upset about. They're upset that they're not they 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 haven't released the video. I see. That's and his and his other contradicting eyewitness reports. And that's the first time I heard that it was contradicting eyewitness reports. Because I just took it at face value. Mm-hmm. And what you never do with the white supremacy, but you know, I'm a victim I'm a victim racist. I'll be slipping, you know. But, um, I, 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 I'm going to um, inbox you a number and, um, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure they would appreciate it too, but Oh, for sure. Thanks, man. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure listeners would want to know more information. I think we have other Alabama listeners, so I'm sure folks would want to know uh, more details about what's going on down there. But 
Yeah, y'all can check that out, get more uh, information, uh, the latest about what's what's been happening. If I find anything, I'll tweet it and Facebook it, and I'll contact uh, tomorrow and see if we can get them on the program later this week. Um, anything else pops up, y'all have concerns, problems, questions, gripes, complaints, uh, feel free. Drop an email, untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, I guess you could use Facebook, too, or what have you. Uh, we're on Twitter, at untiljustice, and uh, we will do what we can. Uh, thank you kindly to all the folks who participated. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Tuesday evening. Again, we'll be back tomorrow evening. Uh, Black male. I'm not saying his name just because it's, it's challenging. It might take me uh, a day to perfect my uh, perfect my pronunciation of his title. But uh, he is a professor uh, at Clemson University. Will be grand to get him. Maybe he even can give us his thoughts on Ben Tillman since we're doing our reading. But that should be uh, tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll be looking forward to hearing from him. And the George Clooney film is Up in the Air. It came out in 2009, Up in the Air, uh, where part of their success is the suicide of a black female. Right on. Uh, I hope uh, folks got something constructive uh, from the broadcast this evening. We do not want to be wasting our time. We have too many problems uh, as black people, victims of white supremacy, to waste time. Uh, If you are going to get out and enjoy the sunshine, the warm weather that is spectacular, have a great time, hopefully with other black people that you care about and have constructive contact. Uh, But definitely do not lax with your codification. Uh, I would still submit sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, If you can't do sobriety uh, at minimum, definitely don't want to have any white people around. DeAndre Johnson, Bernicia McBride, long list of black people who have had really regrettable problems uh, where alcohol somehow factored uh, into the chaos. Uh, If number one, no white people present. Number two, even making sure the non-white people that you're around, that it's not going to be conflict, chaos. Uh, it's too much of that as well, where people don't make the best decisions uh, once they have started consuming intoxicants. Definitely do not want to be under the influence behind the wheel. I would even exercise caution if you're going to be a passenger or even a pedestrian uh, because racists have shown uh, that they have no problem uh, harassing passengers or even pedestrians. Just, oh, it looked like, you know, he was under the influence. He was stumbling a little bit or you didn't have your seatbelt on or you were, you know, slumped over. I didn't know it looked like they could. It'll be anything. Uh, just that's one way. That's one thing that we can do that, in my view, would easily reduce a lot of avoidable problems. Just us being sober so that we can constantly make the best possible defi- uh, decision to protect and defend our black lives under horrible conditions of racism. That being said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. (laughs) 